Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 221, Jan vs. Valishvili, also known as UFC Vegas 71. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Sunday night, a little later than we usually do. We're still, you know, I mean, hell, we talked barely 24 hours ago, <laughs> or less than 24 hours ago, right after UFC 285 ended. Uh, that was a wild one. I mean, honestly, if I had it my way, I spent another two hours talking about that card and leave most of this shit for <laughs> but <laughs> i mean man my brain has already moved on yeah time marches on and, and so do we uh one interesting note about this card we're calling it ufc vegas 71 but it is not taking place at the apex this one is taking place at uh the the theater at virgin something whatever they're calling it now it is the joint at the hard rock it's you know one of the the UFC's longtime standbys for a, a mid-sized venue in Vegas. You know they moved up from the the Pearl at the Palms, which is like a fifteen hundred or two thousand seater, to the joint at the Hard Rock that was like a four thousand seater for things that weren't quite big enough to pack T-Mobile Arena or the Thomas and Mack Center. So while this is a fight night card and it is in Vegas, it is not going to be an empty house. You know it's going to be a return to those kind of fun, hopefully loud medium-sized packed houses that you know used to be one of their mainstays in that first decade after tough so i am excited about that yeah that's good i mean i, I don't think it should be in vegas i think it should be somewhere else I, why the oh. ufc hasn't gone on the road and yes on the road is better but it, it like at least there's gonna be people yeah but no i i agree like last year just that string of shows they had were you know obviously you know the London ones were home runs, but you know, even just getting on the road to places like Austin and Columbus and stuff, those places were so live. I, I really do look forward to the return of that. Uh, on this one, we've got 14 fights. Uh, we lost, of course, the Anthony Smith versus Jamal Hill fight that we were going to get because Jamal Hill got called up on, on short notice to fight for and win the UFC light heavyweight title. That left uh, Anthony Smith very famously just kind of having his moment of heartbreak at the <laughs> desk, you know, and, you know, everybody handled that incredibly professionally considering what was going on there. But uh, we're still left with some goodies on this card. I mean, we have a fantastic Bantamweight main event between former champ Piotr Jan and Marab, one of the most overdue title contenders in the UFC at, at this point. You know, a guy who's on a eight-fight win streak that should probably be at least nine, if not ten. Uh, we've got the Battle of the Alexanders in the co-main event, uh, you know, a good top ten heavyweight matchup. Yeah. And then we have the uh, Nikita Krylov versus Ryan Spann main event from two weeks ago that got pushed because uh because krilov got sick on fight day so up at the top this is about as strong a, a fight night card as, yeah, as you're agree. gonna see these days I, uh i i think it's like probably a b plus maybe even a minus i think it's a good card but I, I agree i mean south of those there is some weirdness there are a lot of debuting fighters there are a lot of you know busted or at least dented prospects that are you know trying to get back on track if, if not save their job but 
it's not a card jammed with like minus 600 favorites or anything. The the fights themselves are pretty well matched, and I think a lot of them promise action. Uh, any general thoughts about this one before we dive in? No, it's good. Um, there's there's a couple other guys on the card that you'd even mention, like some hot guys, like uh, Jonathan Martinez is on this card. Uh, said Demanga Madoff's on this card. Who else? There, there uh, are Mario, two. Mario two, Batista is on this card. This is some hot guys right now. There are two male bantamweights over the age of forty on this card. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, that's, that's wild. A, yeah. I mean, that's that is not a weight division that is generally kind to the elderly. And not only are there two, uh, you know, forty something bantamweights yeah. in this card, but both of them are on win streaks. Yeah, that's right. And then we have like a, then we have a flyweight who's like thirty nine. So, yeah, yeah, a flyweight that's thirty nine, and also you know has been doing pretty well recently. So, uh, I I want whatever vitamins they're taking because that just sounds exhausting to me. First fight out of the gate, at least as the card is currently structured at UFC Fight Night 221, is a welterweight matchup between Carlston Harris and Abubakar Nurmagomedov. Harris, the 35-year-old Guyana native, is 17-5 overall. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He debuted back in spring of 2021, uh, racked up two first-round finishes over Christian Aguilera and Impa Kasanganai before running into Shavkat Rachmanov, Last February at UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Strickland, uh, Rachmanov put him away late in the first round with a spinning hook kick. He's looking to get back on track here, and in his way will be Nurmagomedov. The 33-year-old Dagestani is 17-3-1 overall. He also is 2-1 in the UFC. Uh, he lost his debut, got a... Uh, somewhat shockingly choked out by David Zavada after coming into the UFC as a pretty highly touted prospect out of WSOF and PFL. Since then, he has uh, made good on some of that promise with back-to-back decision wins over Jared Gooden and Gaji Omargajiev. The most recent of those, the Omargajiev fight, was at UFC 280 last October. Odds on this one are fairly close, but Harris is a mild favorite. He's minus 145 or so. Nurmagomedov out there around plus 115. Keith, two guys kind of meeting in the middle here. Nurmagomedov came in with a, a bunch of shine. I mean, he was really, really good in WSOF. He was one of the odds-on favorites to at least make the final in that first season of PFL, and just he had a draw with Boyan Beliskovich in the quarterfinals. Someone had to advance, and Nurmagomedov hurt his hand, so Beliskovich advances. Meanwhile, Harris came in with relatively little fanfare and uh, looked really good until running into uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, which is about as forgivable a loss yeah, as you can get. I, I, I mean, what I want to know from you is 170 is one of the toughest, most crowded divisions in the sport, obviously. Do you see top 10 upside for either of these guys at this point? I mean, Nurmagomedov, win or lose, he's only fighting once a year. Like, what's yeah. how much shine do either of these guys have for you right now? Top 10, I wouldn't say top 10 because, like you said, the division is as hard as it gets. I mean, if we were, I don't know who's in our top 10 right now, but like, dude, Sean, Sean, Sean Rockmanov is number nine. There you go. That exactly. There you go. Yeah. So that, that sums up everything you need to know about. No, I don't see the one of these guys that good, but, uh, could I see guys with a winning record in the UFC? Yeah, I could see that. And, and that's an accomplishment in itself, too. 
So, um, how about this, man? When's the last time a Namaga Madoff has been an underdog in MMA in any in any major MMA organization? And he's the original other Namaga Madoff. Like it, it's almost like a running joke now, but he was the original guy that back in 27, 20, 2017, 2018, they were like, "Oh, he's Khabib's brother." And then you know, next, well, actually, he's his cousin. cousin. And then a few months later, well, actually, there's only like four last names in all of Dagestan. Yeah, they had they like they shared a Netflix account with one. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, like he pat he, he let Khabib use his password or something like that. Um, yeah, it's funny if you're ranking the the Magomedovs and all the major. MMA organization. I think I'd put him last, but I just, did just say that he's still a pretty good talent. So that's just, I just yeah I, I was surprised by the betting line that he's he, he's the uh, underdog just simply because of the last name. Yeah, uh, Bubakar. He's a southpaw who he throws really hard. He works behind a jab, throws a lot of hard punches. Uh, he will throw a, a naked uppercut, which you you know I hate. And he's gonna get. Thrash is going to get knocked out for that. It might even be this fight that that happens. But all his striking is to set up his wrestling. Um, you know, he's not he's not your uh, different Namaga Madoffs. He's your traditional grimy wrestler. He's going to shoot for takedowns. He will shoot without some setups. He's a good wrestler. He's constantly shooting and reshooting. Uh, he gets the fight to the ground, heavy top pressure. But he's not Habib on the ground. Like he 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 will even stall. Like kind of hold down. Doesn't have the best takedown defense too. Like I've seen him get taken down by lesser opponents, which is surprising. Uh, he is hard to hold down again because he's Dagestani. Uh, but like I said, on top a little bit of a lay and pray. He is a submission threat. Uh, but based on his heavy grappling, uh, this has led him to slow down. Even in fights that he's won, like like he beat Jared Gordon, but he's still like slowed down in that fight now. Uh, Carlson Harris. I've said this before about him. He reminds me of Alex Oliveira based on his like frame. He's this long armed guy. Uh, he works behind a hard jab. Uh, got some pretty good sting in his in his hands. He showed some power against Ipikasaganai. Uh, he can overthrow, which again I think that fits Alex Oliveira. Uh, but he he'll wrestle too. He he sets up his wrestling well with his striking. He actually of the two guys, I actually think he sets up his, his entries better than. Abubakar does. Uh, good entries. Uh, he likes to get into the body locks. He uses size in there. A strong top game. Works to advanced position. He likes to attack like head chokes, like Darce chokes, stuff like that. And he has a, a deep gas tank. So uh, I'm not surprised that the betting odds are close. Like I can tell the, the Vegas guys did their did their job and didn't just instantly put Abubakar as the favorite. I'm not high on Abubakar. Like, I've never been that high on him. However, we have two wrestlers who are or two guys who like to wrestle, and they're both top side position wrestlers. So I'm going to go with the guy who's the better of the two wrestlers, and that's Abubakar. Uh, I am worried about his gas tank, especially as the fight goes on. Uh, but I think he's going to bank two rounds and then hang on late. So give me Abubakar, uh, I guess, in an upset. Yeah. <clears throat> Mild upset there, but I'm leaning the same way you are here. At Nurmagomedov, Madoff, he's had a bit of bad luck here and there. Uh, you know, obviously his his run in PFL, uh, that playoff system, always was always going to, you know, lead to some hard luck cases because of their weird rules about draws. Because especially that first season, they had like the two fights in one night thing, which 
that was real fun in like 2004. I, you know? I, I was leading the charge on that. I hated the two yeah. fights in one night. It's just, it's not good. Well, it, it's not a great way. Actually- tiebreaker was like who won the first round. Yeah. Oh God. And you know what happened? They started People stalling the second stop. round. As long That's as you what happens, if you have open score. I mean, they didn't have open score, but they have yeah. the idea. I'm going to win if yeah. I don't lose this round. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, it, 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 in the case of Nurmagomedov, it goes back further than that. I mean, the guy's a, a three-time world Sambo, combat Sambo, bronze medalist, which, I mean, that doesn't sound that impressive, but it's because all three years he ran into uh, Yaroslav Amosov. Like, it was just like the, the three. So, yeah, like rough timing. For I think him. that guy's pretty good at winning. He was pretty good <laughs> at winning, and he was pretty damn good at Sambo before he, he did mixed martial arts. It's like the same thing as like, Cain Velasquez is probably underrated as a wrestler in college just because if he hadn't been the same age as Cole Conrad and Steve Mako, he probably would have won a national yeah. championship or two, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like it's like Bo Nickel. He would have been in the Olympics. He wasn't in David Taylor's weight class. Ding, ding, ding. I got it out early. Yeah, we got thanks. <laughs> I haven't tell awesome. you my Amazon story. No, hit me. I, I, I think I, I might have, and I apologize if we're doing story time with Keith. So I was at Mohegan Sun. I don't know when it was, but uh, me and Nolan King from MMA Junkie, we were hanging out. He's one of my closest friends in the industry. And we were there like all week doing all the thing. And we just kept laughing because we'd see Amosov everywhere. Like he'd just be by himself, just walking around Mohegan Sun. And we'd go to like the cafeteria and there he was sitting in the corner, go in the bathroom, and there's Amosov. Like, what, what this guy's like, like popping up everywhere, everywhere, everywhere we look. And I, we were telling the story, just like, oh, he's probably like, you know, just cleaning out, cleaning the bathroom or something. Like he's just like, like he works here. So we're saying this, and now we're saying we're in line for like the media, and then just like the general entrance to get into the place. And I'm telling the story to I don't know who we're talking to, and I look, and there's I swear to God, there's Amosov in the line with the fans to get in the place. He's fighting on the card. He's by himself. <laughs> he's probably like thirteen and zero at the time or something. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like, he was on the main <laughs> card. Undefeated, and he's waiting in line. Doesn't speak a word of English. Nope. <laughs> like does does, know, does does he know that he's probably supposed to be like a half hour ago, and he doesn't have to go through this entrance? And um, Nolan has. A, I don't want to give away some because Nolan actually has some even funnier stories. So I don't know if he wants people to know, but uh, Emosoft became our like our fun go to guy. <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome. I mean, I, I'm with you here, like. If it's going to come down to wrestler versus wrestler, I favor Nurmagomedov to win, even if he does have to to hang on late. The thing that that like gives me pause about that is if Harris just catches him with something and just lamps him in three minutes or, you know, like stuns him and like grabs a guillotine, that wouldn't surprise me either. So a first round finish by Harris wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, but, uh, Generally speaking, Nurmagomedov has been pretty defensively sound uh, on the feet, even if Harris is going to have probably a speed and power advantage. So give me Nurmagomedov by decision as well, but uh, I I wouldn't be comfortable with it until that final horn sounds. Next up at UFC Vegas 71, we have a men's flyweight matchup between Tyson Nam and Bruno Silva. Nam, the 39-year-old Oregon native, is 21-12-1 overall. He is three and three in the UFC. 
since debuting in late 2019. He did win his last time out. It was a first-round knockout of Ode Osborne at UFC on ESPN Vera versus Cruz last August. Uh, he'll look to make it two straight against Silva. The 32-year-old Brazilian is 12-5-2 with one no contest overall. He is 2-2 two two with one no contest uh, in the UFC. Uh, he, right out of the gate, beat Khalid Taha, uh, choked him out in the third round. That was overturned when he tested positive for a banned diuretic. Uh, right off of that overturned win, he lost two straight against David Dvorak and Tagir Ulambekov. Uh, after that, he rattled off back-to-back -back wins over J.P. Bays and Victor Rodriguez. The most recent of those, the Rodriguez fight, was all the way back in May of 2021. Knocked him out in exactly 60 seconds. Uh, so, a uh, layoff of nearly two years, but he is looking to make it three straight, and he is a moderate favorite to do so. He's minus 165. Nam is plus 130. Uh, Keith, neither of these guys is a top 10 flyweight. Neither of them uh, probably will be. They seem to have settled in as what they are, but they are two of the harder-hitting flyweights in the division, uh, you know, in a division that still is kind of short on people with, like, serious, like, yeah. punching power so that fight this fight has that much to to recommend it uh who do you see winning this one and, and how yeah and i'm just surprised that we're even talking about tyson Nam in the ufc at 39 years old no. and in 2023 that's if you asked me that five years ago i, I would have laughed about it yeah. but not only not only is he in the ufc's but he's winning fights uh and he's looking good i mean the guy's 39 years old at flyweight uh, I, th I think the why the reason why he's doing good is he's he's fighting at a much slower pace, but he's throwing hard shots and he's knocking guys out. I mean, he's a, he's a boxer. I, I shouldn't say knocking. I mean, he knocked, he knocked his last opponent out. Yeah. Uh, he's a boxer who has some good timing on his in his counter striking. Uh, he showed that he landed a perfect strike against Oday Osborne. Uh, he's a bit of a hold your ground, beat you at the point of attack type fighter. Uh, he's got good power for the division. Uh, 13 KOs in his career. He loves his overhand right, though he can look for it a little bit too much. I, I do like that he will work the body. Uh, he doesn't check leg kicks, which is an issue. That's a big target against him. And he's, he's not much of a wrestler. Like When he does go for a takedown, he's looking for upper body locks. If on top, he has some good ground and pound. Uh, I go back to the uh, Jerome Rivera fight. He had, he had a lot of success from the top position, ground and pound. Uh, but he's fought like 30, was it 34 times, I think? He's got one submission, so he's not much of a submission threat. I, I don't think he would be against Bruno Silva. Silva yeah, moves moves well. Uh, good footwork, quick hands, tight boxing. He attacks with combinations. Uh, I'd say plus power. I don't, I would I, definitely give Nam the, the power advantage. Uh, but, I mean, Silva has back-to-back -back knockout wins, so he's got that going for him. Uh, Good calf kicks. He's been hurt, though. Uh, he got hurt by David Devore, especially when he was worked to the body, something that Nam does well. He will wrestle. Uh, good entries. Uh, though he got out-wrestled in his two losses, David Dvorak and um, Ulubekov. Like, Ulubekov took him down. That's not Nam's game. But he, you know, just something to think about. Uh, Silva is a Brazilian just a black belt. He has some really slick back takes. Uh, but he slowed down in fights. Uh, I think the weight cut gets to him a little bit. Like he slowed down against David Dvorak. So this is a tough fight. And Nam has looked good, but I, I'm I'm going to go with a favorite. I'm going to go with Silva though. He has a better output on the feet. He's the, the more well-rounded fighter. 
I think we get some good exchanges, but Silva's takedowns will be the difference. So giving him an edge, so I'll take Silva by, I'll say by decision. Yeah, I I can definitely uh, see that. Silva, I mean, from like kind of his build, like being a short, compact, you know, like muscular flyweight to, I mean, you mentioned just kind of like his solid boxing game. It's no surprise that he is a like Pitbull brothers slash, you know, Eric Abarcine disciple because he fights just like the next smaller Pitbull brother. I mean, he's not as good as like the Patricio. Is that the toys where they go into, into each other? Yeah, like, like the little Russian nesting dolls. Like, yeah. I'm not saying he's as good as Patricio, but maybe like flyweight Patricky, you know, like the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm definitely with you in that I'm surprised that Tyson Nam made it to the UFC, let alone that, you know, he's he's doing all right. He's, he's three and three, and he's beaten some decent guys. Like Zaruka Dashev isn't a bad fighter, Ode Osborne isn't a bad fighter. Uh, most of it, I mean, and you look at his record, his record looks pedestrian, but a lot of that is because he spent almost his entire career fighting at Bantamweight because there wasn't really a division for him to, to drop to in any sort of respectable promotion. Uh, it definitely kind of turned a corner for him when he could finally drop to 125. And here, yeah, he, like he's mellowed out as a fighter. He's not that wild. Uh, you know, he's not wild like he was earlier in his career. Uh Defensive wrestling is less of a problem for him, I think, just because his opponents are smaller, although it's still not great. Uh, and his his power is just, you know, he's got better power. Like, he lamped Adashev. Uh, he knocked out uh, Osborne. If Silva turns to his wrestling and leans on his wrestling, I, I think you're right here. Like, he'll get enough takedowns in at least two out of three rounds to, to win a decision. And at 39, the wheels have to start falling off for Nam at some point, but weird as it is to say at 39 he seems to be fighting the best he ever has and i i can't think of another time i've said that about a flyweight approaching 40 but i say it about tyson nam and i'm gonna lean towards nam here for the the slight upset you know i i think his power and his his reach are gonna kind of give silva pause on the feet silva's been gone for two years and he already had a a weight like a hard weight cut before i i don't picture that getting better for him because he's going into his mid thirties himself. So I'm going to say Nam is, uh, you know, is able to, to hold on Silva might be a little too tired late in the fight to get the takedowns that he needs. And yeah, Nam just kind of fights his mid pace uh, kickboxing match, sting Silva a few times and picks up two rounds out of three. We head now to the Bantamweight division for a matchup between Victor Henry and Tony Gravely. Henry, the 35-year-old uh, fighting out of Southern California, is 22-6 and six overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC early last year. Uh, he debuted with a unanimous decision win over Honey Barcelos at UFC 270 in January, came back in October and dropped a unanimous decision to Rafael Asuncao, who appears a little further up this card. He will look to get back to winning ways against Gravely, who uh, will be looking to do the same. The 31-year-old Virginian is 23-8 and overall. He is 4-3 and since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he lost his last time out. It was a unanimous decision against Javid Basharat at UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Song in September. Previous to that, he had won back-to-back uh, fights over Simon Oliveira and Johnny Munoz Jr. So uh, two Bantamweights looking for a win here for sure. 
Henry is the slight favorite to do so. He is minus 140. Gravely plus 110. Uh, Keith, tell me, who was the real Victor Henry and uh, who wins this fight? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know. Because one fight he looks like, oh, my God, this is a top 15 guy. Next fight he's losing to Rafael Sunso, so and losing bad. So, um, yeah, I, I really I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Uh, he's so inconsistent. Uh, like, like I said, he looked tremendous against Barcelos, looked terrible against the Sun Tzu. It's tough to tell who he is. Good good things he does. He's elusive, got some good footwork, uh, had really good volume against uh, Honey Barcelos, technically sound, uh, setting up his attacks well with feints, switching stances and mid-combination, which I like. Never been a big power puncher, uh, so that's kind of a negative. But He's got a good kicking game. Big part of his game, always always kicking, kicking to all areas of the body, deep kicks up the middle, uh, then quickly to the head. Uh, I'd say kicks are his best weapon. Uh, not much of an offensive grappler uh, in the sense – not much of an offensive wrestler, I should say. Definitely a, a jiu-jitsu grappler. Um, he, he's, he's hard to take down, strong takedown defense, good hip control, uh, can sweep off his back, and, and good cardio. Bad guy. Trigger shy, getting beat to the point of contact by Rafael Sunso, not stopping takedowns, just um, getting beat everywhere. That's that's bad. Uh, Tony Gravely, it's funny. He was a guy who was really known for his wrestling, and now he's known for being like a power puncher. Uh, he explodes off his back foot, closes distance really quickly to unload combinations of the pocket, uh, throwing everything hard as far as his wrestling uh, explosive through your hips kind of guy. He he does make the mistake of resting underneath when sprawled out upon. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, he's gotten beat up there. Uh, and Henry showed some good takedown defense, so that could happen this fight. Uh, if he's on top, strong top game. He controls, you know, works slowly, works position. He has um, he has been beat up a little bit on the feet. I, I go back to like when he's when he's. You know, slugging it out. Nate Manis hurt him. Uh, Javid Basharat uh, pieced him up, but I would pick Basharat over both of these guys right now. Um, back to he, back on the same night. Yeah, I don't know if I go that far, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, as far as his ground, like his wrestling, I don't know why I mixed up this order, but he's he's good at securing a position before landing shots. He has been accused of laying and praying early in his career, but not so much in the UFC. He's got some pretty good ground and pound. Um, you know, his cardio is a little bit of a question mark because he throws everything hard um, and he wrestles a lot. So if you can weather early stalls from gravely, you can take, you can take over late. This, this is an insanely tough fight to pick. I think it's one of the hardest ones to pick. If, if good Henry shows up, I think he wins. He has the volume. He has hard kicks. He has strong takedown defense. If he definitely has the tools to be gravely, but then he's looked terrible against Sunsell. So I'm going to go with Gravely. I I'm guess I'm going to go with the upset. He's the better wrestler. He hits harder of the two. Uh, I think we get some good exchanges on the feet, but I think Gravely's smart enough to look for some takedowns. Uh, and I think he might have to hold. I think it's a similar to the opening fight where he might have to hold on late, but I'll say Gravely by decision. Uh, I, I'm glad that you are apparently as in the dark about 
the real Victor Henry is me because he's been in the, the UFC for two fights now. This will be his third. And not only have I picked his first two fights wrong, I've picked him grotesquely wrong. Like debuting, and I think he even stepped in on short notice against Bar- Barcelos. At that time, you know, I, I still thought of Barcelos as this is a top 10 guy on talent that just needs to get healthy and start fighting three times a year. He's he's taken a step back from that, but I figured Henry's a fun fighter. Like I, I was always excited to see if, if someone if Victor Henry would make it to the UFC. He's a longtime Josh Barnett disciple, so you know he brings kind of a unique grappling game. Uh, as you mentioned, you know he's an exciting striker. You know I'd seen him in Ryzen. Uh, I'd seen him in uh, several uh, you know Japanese promotions. He'd seen him in Deep, but I figured he'd be a fun fighter. While I thought Barcelos was a really good fighter, and Henry schooled him. Then next fight around, like. The ghost of Rafael Asuncao is not going to have anything for Victor Henry, and Asuncao beat him, beat him bad. So I've been super, super dead wrong about both of Henry's fights in the in the UFC so far. But here I, I'm with you because, and these are some of the same notes that we'll revisit when we talk about uh, Asuncao's fight with Davy Grant. But the problem for me was in the Asuncao fight for Henry was. A 40-year-old Asuncao, who was never a blindingly fast guy, even in his athletic prime, like Henry was just like throwing naked uh, kicks with no setup and getting countered right in the face by Asuncao over and over again. Like Asuncao just caught him clean and kind of like rocked him and like made him like, you know, shake his head and back off like three or four times in the, in that fight. Those same punches from Gravely would put Henry down. Like that, that fight's going to be over. Uh, or at least enough damage that Gravely's probably going to win the round. Uh, and that's why I'm I'm leaning that way. I just see I see more avenues to victory for Gravely, where Henry, even the good Henry Henry who who beat Barcelos, would have to kind of duplicate that performance to beat Gravely because you know Gravely should be able to get uh, takedowns, and if, if he does, he might find Henry willing to work for submissions off his back. Which I mean, great, but that's still not a, a great route to victory. You know, in uh, in the modern UFC. And on the feet, you know, gra- gravelly countering Henry and his like kick happy game just seems like for a way a, a way for him to do damage and, and win rounds. So uh, I've got the the slight upset here as well, and I think I've picked three upsets in a row to start off this card. But in, in fairness, they're all really close uh, lines. But yeah, give me give me uh, gravelly in another mild upset. Yeah, look at you, man. And this always, is always how the dogs. And, and this is after that UFC 285 were like all but one of the favorites won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, not the dog, but one was Alexa Grasso. Yeah. We head now to the women's flyweight division for a matchup between Ariane Lipsky and JJ Aldrich. Lipsky, the 29 year old Brazilian, is 14 and 8 overall. She is three and five since joining the UFC as the outgoing KSW flyweight champ. She lost her last time out. It was a quick knockout at the hands of Priscilla Cachoeira last uh, August at UFC on ESPN Vera versus Cruz. Prior to that, she had a unanimous decision win over Mandy Bohm. And then uh, before that, she had back-to-back losses to Montana De La Rosa and Antonina Shevchenko. So Lipsky, the once highly touted uh, free agent has lost three of four, you know, coming in rather dented and dinged into this fight with Aldrich. Aldrich, 30 year old Colorado native is 11 and five overall. She's seven and three in the UFC. 
Uh, she also lost her last time out. It was a second round submission by uh, Aaron Blanchfield. That was last June at UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Rosenstrike. Prior to that, Aldrich had won back to back to back fights over Courtney Casey, Vanessa Demopoulos, and Jillian Robertson. Odds here find Aldrich a comfortable favorite. Uh, minus 245, Lipsky plus 195. Keith, we mentioned earlier on this card uh, that, you know, if you told me a few years ago that Carlston Harris and Abubakar Nurmagomedov would meet in the UFC and Harris would be the favorite, that'd be mildly surprising. Dude, if you told me three or four years ago that Ariane Lipsky and JJ Aldrich would meet in the UFC and Aldrich would be a greater than two to one favorite, I would have laughed. Because I would have assumed that Aldrich would have washed out of the UFC by now and Lipsky would be like in title contention or maybe have already had a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. Oh, and by the way, if you told me that Shevchenko wasn't champ anymore, that that would have uh, added to my surprise. But Aldrich has uh, just greatly overperformed. I mean, she's seven and three in the UFC right now. That's that's one of the better records of anybody in the women's flyweight division. And Lipsky is just, I mean, she, like three of her engines on fire are, are on fire and she's, she's trying to land the plane at the airport. And her only win in her last four fights is against Mandy Bohm, who has might not even stick in the UFC. I mean, I know she pulled out of her last fight uh, sick or with injury and like she might just get cut. It's not been great for Lipsky. Aldrich has not just uh, stuck around the UFC, but has like seemed to sort of improve. I mean, Lipsky at this point is busted as a prospect. Aldrich, do you, I mean, do you see, do you see any top 10 type upside in Aldrich or hell? I mean, is she getting close now? She's getting close. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lack of athleticism that, that, would keep her, I believe, from the next tier. But she's she's continues to get better and better every fight. I mean, she's Southpaw, who's got some really solid boxing. She's a counter striker with good hand speed. Uh, she's got some good footwork. Uh, she likes to circle back and and pull her opponents into her punches to land shots. Her straight left is probably her best punch. Uh, she can be a little bit of a headhunter, and she she's a point fighter she's she isn't a big power punch which is another thing that probably keep her from the top of the division but i mean we've seen it had success against some good fighters i mean out of everybody in the in the ufc she's had the best success against aaron blanchfield than anybody else has um she she um she can be. I remember when she was overpowered by Sabina Myers. It's still in my notes, and I, I probably should take wow. it out by now. Uh, but that always stands in my in my head, uh, which is really surprising me that she lost the clinch battle against Sabina Mizo. But she's an underrated offensive and defensive wrestler. I liked her her fight IQ that she showed against Courtney Casey, where she's her natural tendency is to be a southpaw southpaw boxer. Instead, she's like, oh, I'm going against Courtney Casey. Let me turn into a wrestling match. So I like that. She also showed some strong takedown defense against Vanessa Demopoulos in, in, in that fight. I, as far as Ariana Lipsky, um, it's it's getting tougher to find things she does well at this point. And she she seems like she's doing the opposite. She's going the other direction. Uh, she's a pressure striker that if she wins, she's winning with volume. Uh, she's a kickboxer, so kicks are a big part of her game. She lacks power, though. I mean, you mentioned she beat Manny Bomb. She did draw Manny Bomb, but I, I, I don't put much stock in into that. Uh, she can't handle pressure right now, and she gets bullied. I mean, Priscilla Cachoeira just ran right through her. I mean, that was a mismatch. 
she's not a grappler at all. I mean, she's a weak defensive wrestler. She got, and, and this is going back a while now, but she got out grappled by Antonina Shevchenko, like, it, which obviously has not aged well. She can find submissions, though. So she has does have three career submissions. As far as a pick goes, I'm I'm on Aldrich here. I think she I think she should be a bigger favorite. I, I think she works her in the inside. I think if she goes to the takedowns, very similar to the Casey fight where she's like she struggles on the ground. I can get the fight down to the ground. Uh give me Aldridge. She might even find a stoppage with some ground and pound. Or she could she could even get her first career submission, which she doesn't have. But I, I'm gonna say she gets a I'm gonna say she gets a stoppage. I'm gonna say Aldridge, I'll go late. Third round, third round TKO from ground and pound. I, you basically just took everything I was going to say there, uh, especially the part about maybe it's time to put the Sabino Maso loss in the rear view because that's a little over three years ago. And I have carried the note since then that Aldrich isn't physically strong and can be bullied and, and thrown around by UFC level flyweights because, Ma- I mean, Maso turned out not to be uh, UFC, like UFC quality, but even while she was in the UFC, one of her biggest problems was she was kind of tall and thin and just not very physically strong. And she, you know, kind of mauled Aldrich in the clinch. But Aldrich just isn't the same fighter anymore. She doesn't look... I mean, I mean, it's not like she's added 15 pounds of muscle or anything, but against... I mean, you pointed out against Demopolis, who, you know, there's like a compact little ball of muscle. Uh, Aldrich was the stronger fighter. Jillian uh, Robertson, who wants to grapple but uh tends to lack ways to get the fight to the floor couldn't really get the fight to the floor against aldrich just aldrich was too strong and and too good a, a defensive wrestler yeah i just i don't think lipsky's gonna have much for her here and lipsky's decline under the ufc lights just it will continue to mystify me until i don't have to talk about it anymore because she gets cut because if you ask me coming out of uh KSW, I would have been like, she is the store brand version of Valentina Shevchenko. Like she's a aggressive. Wow. Really t- uh, I, I I didn't think she was as good, but I thought definite future title challenger. I was like, the the rest of this division is just bodies for Val to chew up until Lipsky wins three or four, and Lipsky still hasn't won four, and it's like five <laughs> years later. <laughs> uh, just, I mean. She was a aggressive Muay Thai striker with, you know, not one shot power, but overwhelm you power once she starts pouring it on. You pointed out she, you know, she wasn't a wrestler like uh, Shevchenko is, but a very opportunistic, uh, you know, grappler that could get submissions. And just none of that has panned out at the UFC level. No. Like the, the speed and explosion isn't there. Uh, she, you pointed out, she doesn't respond well to pressure. I should just move the note over from Aldrich to her because she can be bullied. I mean, getting finished in back-to-back fights by Antonina Shevchenko and Montana De La Rosa is th- those are not the performances of of, of a future contender um, no. at, at all. Lipsky is really just hanging on by fumes here, and if Aldrich just mauls her like both of us think she's going to, this might be the end of the Ariane Lipsky experiment in, in the UFC because I have the feeling that she com- uh, commanded at least a semi-premium price coming out of KSW. And her first four-fight stint in the UFC, which was probably her first contract, ended with back-to-back wins. 
So she probably didn't even take a pay cut after those, those first four. I Yeah, but uh, give me Aldrich here to kind of push her around. Aldrich will probably end up taking this thing to the ground because while she can strike with Lipsky, I think she has a real advantage on the ground. Uh, I expect a lot of this fight to take place with Aldrich in top position, just kind of feeding Lipsky elbows. And I have the exact same call as you here. Give me Aldrich to finish a discouraged, bruised, beat-up Lipsky in the third round, probably on the ground. Next up, the Bantamweights take the cage as it is Mario Bautista versus Guido Canetti. Bautista, the 29-year-old Arizonan, is 11-2 overall. He's 5-2 in the UFC uh, since joining out of LFA and Combate Americas. He is on a three-fight winning streak, those uh, victims being Jay Perrin, Brian Kelleher, and Benito Lopez. All three of those took place last year. The most recent of those, the Lopez win, was a sassy reverse triangle armbar finish in the waning seconds of the first round at uh, UFC Fight Night, Rodriguez versus Lemos. He's going to look to make it four straight and kind of uh, insert himself potentially into the rankings and uh, mint himself a, a future title contender against Canetti. The 43-year-old Argentinian, yes, you heard that right, 43-year-old, uh, still plugging away, 10-6 and six overall, 4-5 and five in the UFC. And while the strength of schedule is not equal, he is on a two-fight win streak of his own. Uh, he lost three in a row with some lengthy injury layoffs in between from 2018 to 2021, uh, came back last year and won both of his fights, those being a first-round uh, TKO of Chris Moutinho at uh, UFC Fight Night Santos versus Ankalaev in March, then came back in October and choked out Randy Costa in just 64 seconds. So, uh, Kennedy looking to get an improbable three-fight win streak going in his 40s. He is not favored to do so. To put it mildly, Bautista, by far, the biggest favorite on the card. Unsurprisingly, he is minus 950, uh, Kennedy plus 600. And for these lines, I usually will just take a median of the four or five most respectable slash popular North American sites. Minus 950 on Bautista was the best I could find. Yeah. Most of the, all, all the other sites were over, over minus a thousand. Uh, Keith, neither of us are betting people. This is not a betting show, though obviously we have to talk about the odds because, you know, people people use us as handicappers. Is Mario Batista over Guido Canetti safe, relatively speaking, as 10 to 1 favorites go? Um, I don't know how to answer that because I mean I don't I don't know when you'd bet 10 to 1, but it if I was setting a line, I probably would put it even bigger. Um, it was so funny that he said something. I, I, I'm not as well spoken as you are, Ben, but he said something like, "You know, he's trying to show that he's a contender for the title by beating Guido Canetti." <laughs> like, <laughs> well, considering um, that that he that he like ran right through Brian Kelleher last June, the the Canetti matchup does sound odd, and I don't think this is even a late notice thing. No, like, I think this I, is just the fight they made. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if they don't like Guido Canetti. I don't know. Um, uh, Batista, he, he's a very well-rounded fighter. He's he's fighting with a lot of confidence right now. Uh, he he knows he's improving. He's looking better and better each fight. He's a pressure fighter who just, I mean, like his last fight against Benito Lopez, he just marched him down and just teed off on him. 
technically sound. He uses feints and footwork to keep his distance. I go back to the Kelleher fight where he was freezing Brian Kelleher with his feints, cutting angles when attacking, good footwork. He's showing increasing power. He'll throw a flying knee just because that's when he's feeling himself. Uh, strong calf kicks, good in the clinch. Uh, he showed improved wrestling. I mean, that was never part of his game. Now, when he took down Brian Keller uh, a couple times, he had a tremendous foot sweep against him. He took down Benito Lopez, easily mounted him, had some slick back takes. He's got back-to-back submission wins with, the, with both of them, like, really impressive, especially the, the Lopez one. Go back to like uh, Miles Johns, where you know he's trying to take him down as a good wrestler, and he'd stop and take down some Miles Johns. Uh, and even when he was taken down, he's popping right back up. I mean, he's he's looking; he really does look like a top fifteen guy. Uh, <laughs> Guido Canelli being forty three years old, uh, yeah. What what are we doing? Um, the guy should just retired after his last win. Like, go out, go out with a win. Uh, he's got back to back wins, so I, I like that. But this is this is going to end bad. I mean, um, dude. I mean, jumping from Chris Moutinho to Randy oh. Costa to Mario Bautista. Oh, my gosh. It is that merging into the 80-mile-an-hour freeway traffic on your bicycle. Like, you're going 20 yeah. miles an hour on your bike. You're like, I'm doing all right. And then, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? It's <laughs> it's like it's it's like. You, you're like you're at the bar with your friends, and you see this like cute girl at the bar, and you're like, yeah, maybe I'm feeling good. I got my best shirt on, you know. And you go, you go over, you, you kick it to her, and you all of a sudden you get her phone number. So you're like, yeah, you feel like the man. You 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 like hop over to the next bar, and then all of a sudden you see, it and it's like, I don't know, one of the Kardashian sisters over there, and you're like, dude, I want to roll. Let me go. Like, what are you doing? Like, sit down, brother. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Mario the Kardashian Batista. Um so so what Guido Cunetti does well, he he's he can fight out of both stances. He's still pretty explosive. Um his hand speed has slowed a little bit, but he's tightened things up since then. Like he used to be kind of a wild man. Um, you know, he's he's he, he still get, don't get me wrong, he still gets in the pocket and a low power shots, but he's he's a little crisper and, and more technical in the way he does it. Uh his left blow is his left hook is his best blow. Uh, he still likes to brawl, and he has power. I mean, he lamped Chris Martino. Uh, he going back to like Marlon Vera. He hurt Marlon Vera, uh, not like not like where he's gonna fight hurt him, but I mean, like he stung him a little bit. He's got some strong kicks, hard kicks to the body. His his inside leg kick from the southpaw stance is, is his like best weapon when it comes to kicks. Uh, he he throws some hard leg kicks, but sometimes he won't set him up, so he can be open to counter. He hasn't fought the guy that can counter him yet, though. Uh, he mixes in takedowns from the clinch and from distance. Like he can get him from both positions. But the biggest issue at his age, I'm worried about his chin. I mean, he was hurt several times by Marlon Vera, which again has age well. But I mean, uh, Baccarel knocked him out, which um, recently. So that's not good. I mean, in fairness, the, the biggest argument for his chin is that he went against Mono Martinez and made it the distance. And Mono Martinez is a power puncher. So that, uh, so that definitely aged well. But. Can any shown that he has some some you know game left with some grit left? But he's faced two of the lowest level UFC fighters and Chris Martino and Randy Costa. This is a massive step up against Mario Batista. Are arguably it, two the, the two lowest available at the time. 
Yeah. Arguably, yeah. Yeah. And this is a terrible stylistic matchup. I mean, I think I think Batista smashes anywhere he wants. I see him battering up his legs. I think he might hit a few takedowns. I think I think he. I, I'm gonna go. Even though he could knock him out on the feet, I'm gonna go with this this like ground Batista that's coming out of nowhere. I think he finds submission. I think Batista subs him in the very first round. Uh, no notes, Dad. Uh, give me Bautista, like kind of stretching it out to the second round. Kennedy has shown good survivability, uh, and Bautista, while he is just surging with confidence right now, I could see him going, okay, this is a minus 1000 favorite. Let's not let anything silly happen, you know, and being just a little bit more deliberate, but all Bautista all day, uh, give me Bautista by second round submission here. And, I think the UFC will have no choice but to give him a serious step up in competition in his next fight. Next up at UFC Fight Night 221, we have a middleweight matchup between Cedric Dumas and Josh Friend. Dumas, the 27-year-old Floridian, is a perfect 7-0 in his mixed martial arts career. This will be his UFC debut. Uh, he fought on the Contender Series last August, guillotine Matei Penaz in just 47 seconds uh, as a slight underdog. That punched his ticket to the big show where he will meet friend. The 29-year-old Pennsylvanian is 9-4 overall. He's 0-2 since joining the UFC uh, last spring. He dropped his debut to Anthony Hernandez uh, by unanimous decision, came back in October and got choked out in the second round by Treshawn Gore. So uh, he's still looking for his first UFC uh, victory. He is a slight underdog in that pursuit. He's plus 115, Dumas minus 145. Uh, Cedric Dumas is, I mean, the dude is a rare story for mixed martial arts. We're talking about a guy who's, in yeah, we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> in 2023, like a decade removed from uh, Kimbo Slice, like over a decade removed from Kimbo Slice, over 15 years removed from Jorge Masvidal, we have a guy who got into MMA just from having fights in his backyard. Actually, had his like own mini startup backyard fighting promotion. Hell got yeah. on World Star, like that's and. You know, at that point, started taking actual fights, several of them in uh, Masvidal's promotions like uh, Gamebred and, and, and Icon before getting the call from the uh, the Contender Series and then meeting a guy in Fremd who just a much more conventional road to the UFC, like standout high school wrestler who instead of wrestling in college, you know, kind of started boxing and took a few fights and got signed to LFA. Um, no, no backyard fights for him. I, if he had any, nobody recorded him. Like, let's just put it that way. But uh, Dumont, there's not a whole lot of depth to his game at this point. He is a big dude for 185 uh, and just an aggressive, you know, bread and butter kickboxer, hard kicks uh, that he's very willing to throw and an opportunistic submission game. He just basically snatched. Uh, uh, guillotine that kind of kind of forced it against uh, Penaz on the contender series. It's not like Penaz like just shot into the guillotine. You know they just uh, they kind of collided. He forced the guillotine, had a good squeeze, and got the tap out quick. He's got all the potential in the world, but he's yet to face anybody that's really even forced him to go to Plan B. Like I have no idea like how much depth there is to his game, friend. 
has definitely disappointed, uh, at least from my expectations. I saw him on LFA, and I saw him as a guy that, oh, this guy's pretty well-rounded. He's a big, huge-framed guy for the weight class who's a pretty good wrestler and is a pretty solid boxer and can take care of himself on, on the ground grappling-wise. I figured, okay, a guy with that physique, that well-rounded, he has some upside at the UFC level. But, you know, if we're in a video game, maybe I thought he was a seven in every category and he's more like a four or five in every category because none of those tools have really worked for him at the UFC level. Hernandez was a big ask for his debut. Like, Anthony Hernandez is a really good fighter. But I figured Friend would be the better wrestler against Treshawn Gore. And Gore, like, picked him up and slammed him. On top of that, Friend's boxing looked really, you know, looked sharp at the LFA level. And just both of his UFC opponents have kind of beaten him to the punch and just just outstruck him. Just He's starting to look like a guy that I'm not sure he does much at a UFC level. He's still just 29, so, I mean, that's not, like, written in stone. He has time to turn things around, but Dumas has far, far more upside. Uh, give me Dumas to probably knock Fremd friend out. Uh, I don't think Fremd is going to be able to get Dumas down if he wants to, and if he sticks around on the feet, Dumas just hits with so much more power and has such superior hand speed. Uh, I think Fremd is going to be kind of stuck on the gunnery range and isn't going to have any safe places to go. If he tries to clinch, I could see Dumas just kind of, you know, wrapping and uh, grabbing another guillotine like he did or just kind of mauling him in the clinch. But uh, give me Dumas by, by first round knockout here. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Uh, Fremd, he's a really big guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's big for the weight class. Uh, a pressure striker, uses a lot of volume, works behind a jab, throws, you know, straight shots. His, his left hook is probably his best punch, but he lacks power, too, for a big guy. Um, he's been rocked a lot, um, doesn't have the best speed, doesn't have the best defense, uh, doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, you mentioned his wrestling. He can wrestle a little bit, um, especially if he gets in the clinch and uses his size, but he's he's not a powerful, like, he's not an NCAA wrestler, you, you know, Um he has three sub wins, uh, but uh, yeah, he <clears throat> excuse me, he, he hasn't looked good in, in the UFC so far. Uh, Dumas, he's twenty seven years old, seven zero. He's a long and lengthy guy. Like he's he's a kickboxer who he just springs at his opponents. He's really explosive off his back foot, closes his distance so easily by taking like one step. It reminds me of like the way Kevin Holland moves, where he's just he steps long. Serious power, kicks everywhere, body kicks, calf kicks. Uh, defensively, he does make the mistake of backing straight up instead of you know keeping his head on the center line. Um, he's physically strong for a guy like he has that like long man strength. He is a submission threat. We saw a beautiful uh, guillotine. I, I if I make my prediction, I I I, I want to say this in, in this is a little uh, promotion for sure, dog. Uh, I'm writing an article on Dumas right now. Um, hopefully it'll be up in the next day or two. Well, <laughs> I know if you were listening to this, you're like, wait, Keith writes for sure. Okay. I actually write every once in a very, very, I used to write a lot, but, uh, <laughs> there might be a reason why they said, Hey, uh, Hey, go, go do the podcast stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it, I saw that I saw the, the, the tweet. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter where, uh, a, and I, I apologize. I, I'm not sure which guy, but a, a upstart MMA journalist. Uh, media guy uh, reached out to Dumas to do an interview, and he asked, "He's like, yeah, I'll do an interview for a hundred bucks." And it's like, what? 
we don't pay for interviews. That's just not what we do. And then him and Abe Coward doubled down. Okay. It's, yeah. Instead of saying they're sorry, it just you come out, you completely come off like a dick. Like just admit, like, all right, we're sorry. Uh, we don't have time. Like, don't look down on someone who's a startup because, especially if you started fighting in the backyard, you probably should have an idea like where people come from. Like, you didn't just your first fight wasn't in the UFC, so um, we've all started very, very small. So don't be that. But while I was like responding to this tweet, people. Like one or two people said, "Hey, have you seen this guy's criminal record? Like he's not a good person." So I, I told people I'd look into it, and I did, and that's what I'm writing an article on. I don't think this guy should be fighting in the UFC, and I'm going to expose that. And, and Bloody Elbow has done a little bit. I'm, I've I've actually got the police report from Pensac- the Pensacola Police Department, and a couple other things. This guy makes Greg Hardy seem like the Dalai Lama. Like he's not a good person. And I want to say that this, not everything on his criminal record, not everything's convictions, but I understand how the courts work. There was at least probable cause to make an arrest. Okay. And the actually, the police report I got, um, he wasn't arrested in. But it's one of those ones like, your, your wife cheats on you. You know, she says you're gonna be home by nine. She's not showing up at two o'clock in the morning. You don't, you don't give her the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think this guy should be fighting in the UFC. Uh, anyways, back to his actual skill. The guy's good. Like what I've seen, he's good. I don't think Frem is 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 good. So I'm gonna go with the upside of Dumas. I say Dumas knocks him out in the first round. All right, there you go. Uh, two picks for Dumas to. Uh, win my first round knockout and uh, continue to be a problem, maybe. Next up, we have the third of five men's bantamweight uh, fights on this card, as it is the ageless Rafael Asuncao versus Davy Grant. Asuncao, the 40 year old Brazilian, is 28 and 9 overall. He is 12 and 6 in the UFC. Uh, make that 15 and 8 if you include his WEC run, which you absolutely should. Uh, he won his last time out. It was a surprisingly one-sided unanimous decision over Victor Henry last October at UFC Fight Night, Grasso versus Araujo. That, for Asunsao, put the brakes on a four-fight losing streak that uh, probably had him fighting for his job in October, but he passed that test and will look to make it two wins in a row here. He had been scheduled to take on Kyler Phillips, which frankly, would have made it a little more difficult to get that second win in a row. But uh, Phillips was forced to withdraw with an injury and in steps Grant. The 37-year-old Brit is 14-6 and six overall. He is an even 5-5 five and five since joining the UFC out of the 18th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he won his last time out as well. It was a third-round knockout of Louis Smolka last May at UFC on ESPN, Blahovich versus Rakic. Uh, prior to that, he had lost back-to-back fights against Marlon Vera and Adrian Yanez. Odds here do slightly favor Grant. He's out there around minus 160 or so. Asunsao plus 130. Uh, Keith, I think I said before our last Asunsao prediction, I maintain this. He is the most anonymous, most unsung, longtime top 10 contender in UFC history. Yeah, like he had a run in the UFC where he won 11 out of 12 fights, 
The only loss was to TJ Dillashaw. And by the way, that was Dillashaw winning their rematch because he beat Dillashaw the first time they fought. I mean, he, for a guy that was within a fight of fighting for a UFC title multiple times, he's about as anonymous as they come. And I understand the reasons why. He's a short, stocky Brazilian who doesn't speak a ton of English and a ton, and most of his fights aren't super exciting. But, I mean, criminally underrated and and misremembered. Yeah. And I count myself there there as well. I mean, the people he beat on that on that run, Dillashaw, Pedro Munoz, Aljamain Sterling, Marlon Moraes, Rob Font. Like, <laughs> that's a hell of a run. <laughs> yeah, he fought almost nothing but like top 10, top 15 yeah. guys. And went on like long winning streaks, and even that four fight losing streak, he never got a break. He lost he never a, got a title shot either. Never yeah. got a title shot. Never got a title shot. I mean, if he'd beaten Dillashaw at UFC 200, he would have gotten a, a title shot off of that. I'm sure. If he'd beaten Sterling or Marais, he would have been right there, like up near the top of the phone call list. But the UFC was never going to call us himself. Oh. There was any other option. <laughs> yeah. For all the for all the reasons I just mentioned, like like fair or not, like you know, Keith and I both tiptoe, or I mean we don't tiptoe around. We we tell the truth, but you know we try to be as fair as possible, saying, hey, you know, this woman is going to get promoted if the UFC can justify it at all because she is very good looking and charismatic. Well, ben, a be- ben does that. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Dude, Keith, Keith, Keith's a perfect gentleman. Yeah. I mean, there's a beauty contest going on. Uh, on the men's side as well. And as soon as fails that beauty contest <laughs> miserably. He's an ugly duckling. And then, <laughs> you know, he's just kind of physically nondescript. His fights, you know, are typically grindy. Uh, I mean, he was a submission machine early in his career, but at the WEC UFC level, he's a decision machine. And yeah, and just not a whole lot of sizzle on, on the mic. But dude, he got Marlon Marais, Corey Sandhagen, Cody Garbrandt and Ricky Simone in a row. And he's no one to blame for but himself for being like Garbrandt's lone victim there. Yeah. But the rest of them years old or 39 years old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's fighting the best he ever has, but he's fighting the same as he ever has. Does he get it done against Grant here? Who's pushing 40 himself? Oh man. Oh, and and how bad would Kyler Phillips have lit this dude up? Um, Yeah. I, well, we'll get into that in a second. Um, All right. Yeah, as you mentioned, forty years old. He, I mean, he had a stretch in the UFC where he looked really good. Uh, then he looked really bad. He did look a little renewed against uh, Victor Henry. Uh, he, he's a counter striker that fights out of both stances. He has this like rare ability to get, and this is always this has been prime Sun Sao. We've talked about Andre Olowski having this and, and, and Yoel Romero and stuff. He has this rare ability to get guys to fight at his pace, uh, which is even as a prime was a low output distance kickboxing fight where it's technical. He stays tight, um, throws combinations, got some good calf kicks. Uh, then he closes distance and he grinds in the clinch, looks for body lock takedown. If you throw Throw a kick, he can catch a kick and take you down. Uh, he will shoot through your hips, but he's you know he's not one of these elite wrestlers. He did get like even though he looked bad and he lost, he he did get four takedowns on, on Corey Sanhagen. Uh, he's always been an elite grappler. Not you know, he's got ten submission victories. Not, not your Damian Maya racist to me, but just that more like a mini a RDA. 
Yeah, that's what I was gonna, that's exactly the guy I was going to say. Susie looks like RDA. They, he yeah. does look like him too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're built the same way. And, yeah. But that style, more of a topside grappler, controlling position. Um, based on his age, I am worried about his cardio. If someone actually could push a pace against him and didn't get like hypnotized by him, uh, I am worried about his durability. I mean, he was knocked out by. Garbrandt, he was knocked out by Ricky Simone and back to the fights. You mentioned the, 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 um, uh, yeah, no, sorry, I'm sorry. The, yeah, no, Garbrandt knocked him out. Ricky Simone knocked him out. I didn't say, I didn't say Sanhagen, did I? No. Okay, sorry. All right. I, for some reason, I, I had a brain fart for a second. Uh, move over to Davy Grant. <laughs> Davy Grant, man, this guy has grown on me. Like, he's, he's not a great athlete, but he's a true blood and guts type fighter that another guy, like we talked about, uh, Tyson Nam, like still being in the UFC, would surprise me. Like I, I would put Davy Grant in that category, but he's he's been good. Like he's insanely tough. He stalks his his foe and he just beats him with volume. He throws hard looping punches, very like Faderish the way he throws the punches. But he has surprising speed. Stuff at this age. Please note, uh, Keith just said that Davy Grant is like Fedor. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's right. Um, just get him a sweater and then and, and we'll call him the goat. I uh, he, he can crack, man. The guy, I mean, he knocked out Martin Day. He knocked out Jonathan Martinez, which is <laughs> that fight, you know, that win has aged extremely well. Uh, he's got a good kicking game. He likes that, like, Holly Holmes sidekick, but he also tacks the calves. He smashed Louis Smoker in his last fight with calf kicks. Uh, he he prefers to strike, but he will sneak in a takedown to win a round. Like he's intelligent like that. He's if taken down, he's got a good get up game. He has eight subs on his record, so he can catch someone in a scramble. I even this version of Rafael Sunset would really surprise me if he caught Sunset on a submission. But uh, I mean, that maybe like a club and some kind of thing. But like strike, catch him in a submission would be was surprising. But I mean, he's he's he hurt Adrian Giannis in in a fight that was very close. Uh, he just. Regardless, so so he's been hurt himself too, though. To finish, so Giannis hurt him. Um, Martinez had moments against him. Even they had moments against. Him. But but despite being hurt, he just continues to come, and he has a card to press a hard gas tank. Now, I feel much better about Asuncio now than I did his last fight, but it's still still hard to trust his cardio, trust his durability at this point. Davy Grant to me seems like the guy that could challenge that, could get in there, stay, get in his face fight his game uh he throws hard and he throws a lot and i think eventually he catches a sun show i'm gonna say david grant knocks out a sun so i'm gonna see he does in the second round all right i i know that this show is spicier when keith and i disagree a lot and i don't just kind of like bunk like stick my rubber stamp on what keith said but i think i've done that on about half the fights on this card and this is another one. Plus, you're not going to go against the GOAT. <laughs> not, not gonna, yeah, I mean, I'm not going against, you know, Davy Grant with like, they'd have to be two big ass ice cream cones for him to really be Fedor, but you know what I mean. Uh, <clears throat> you know, or, or that old wooden cross around his neck would have to like be like flavor yeah. flavor size stuff. Uh, uh, oh, I mean, we, we talked about Victor Henry just before this, and I floated the question, and you agreed with me that it's an open question whether the Henry versus the Sao fight was due to Henry either just underperforming or not being as good as we thought, or Sun Sal just finding uh, another gear at age 40. And I checked, he was already 40 at, at the time of that fight. And we both picked Gravely in the Henry fight, indicating that, okay, yeah, we're fading Henry a little bit. Uh, 
which tells me that, okay, maybe Asunso hasn't really recovered prime form, but he just got a matchup that he could win. And I don't think Grant is that. Uh, I, I'm with you here. Grant's going to look a lot bigger in the cage. We have him listed at 5'8 and 135, but he always, he's a guy that just always seems to be the taller, lengthier fighter in the cage. And against a stocky fire plug like a Sun Sal, that's really going to be the case. Uh, give me him to catch a Sun Sal with some of his like wild winging Fedor hooks. Uh, a Sun Sal, if he wants to get this thing to the ground, I don't, I'm not sure he'll be able to. Uh, Grant, for a, a long legged guy that strikes as aggressively as he does, has pretty solid uh, takedown defense and, and get up game. I think this is going to be kind of a, a rough time for Sun Sal. Who knows if we get a retirement in the cage, but I think we'll be wishing for one if it's as ugly as I think it, 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 it will be. And uh, I have Grant by second round TKO as well. Next up at UFC Fight Night 221, there are two heavyweight bouts on this card, Keith, and one of them is really good. This is the other one. <laughs> it is Carl Williams versus Lucas Brzezinski. Williams, the 33-year-old uh, Atlanta native, is 7-1 and one overall. This will be his UFC debut after winning on the Contender Series last September. Uh, in that appearance, he beat Jimmy Lawson by unanimous decision, uh, punching his ticket to uh, the UFC where he makes his debut. Waiting for him will be Brzezinski. The 30-year-old pole is 8-2-1 and one with one no contest. Overall, he is 0-1 since debuting in the UFC out of the Contender Series. little bit of confusion there because he won on the Contender Series last September. Uh, he got a third-round stoppage against Dylan Potter. That was marred by a bit of controversy because uh, Potter did not appear to have tapped, but Mark Smith stopped the fight called it a submission win for Brzezinski. I mean, that's controversial, obviously, but Brzezinski was about a minute away from probably winning the fight anyway, whatever. But then it was overturned shortly afterwards anyway because Brzezinski uh, tested positive for a banned performance enhancer. Despite that, he did end up keeping his invite uh, to the UFC. He debuted last August at the same uh, UFC on ESPN, Vera versus Cruz card that several of the fighters uh, on this card fought on, and he lost a split decision to Martin Budai. So two gentlemen looking still for their first win in the octagon. Williams is actually a moderate favorite to get it done. He's minus 170. Brzezinski plus 140 uh, on the comeback. Keith, I mean... <laughs> You know what I just realized? What? I watched a Brzezinski fight against Padai, uh -huh. and and obviously he lost. <laughs> and I thought he won, but not that not that I thought like I was scoring and I thought he won. Just Badai is so bad that I just like, you just assumed he won. I just, I just automatically put it as a loss. <laughs> <laughs> like, I watched it, and and yeah, I I I don't well until. You know, a couple days ago, I didn't remember the Brzezinski versus Budai fight at all, even though I think I was no. even on the Sherdog scoring team for that one. Just my brain <laughs> washed it out. You know, uh, you don't watch it all the time. Like, oh. you know, <laughs> uh, let's put out the old classic. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to toss this one to you first because I don't give a shit. Yeah, of course you uh, are. <laughs> but 
<laughs> well, I don't want that dude in our comments like coming at me being like, you talked for like so many minutes and like how inconsiderate to Keith. I was like, oh. Oh, you, you think never, so? You, oh, okay. You, you've never watched this before. <laughs> yeah, like I don't talk. Uh, I, I mean, we got two guys here. Williams, former light heavyweight, who wasn't a good light heavyweight, especially. Brzezki, who this is about a rough road as you can get through the contender series and still get the, you know, a, a berth in the UFC. Who wins this one? And do you care? Um. Yeah, I care. I, mean, I don't. I wouldn't do the show if I didn't care. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? Well, no, wait a sec. Okay, Matt, like you, obviously, you're a police officer. You have okay. spent plenty of time in, in courtrooms. You know, obviously, like you know, t- testifying. What if we had peremptory challenges? Like, just like two attorneys, like looking at the jury. We just we could each pick one fight on each card. We're like, I'm not previewing uh, that that's, fight. That's like, fuck right. that one. That one's gone. Like how quickly would it be this one on this card? Let me look. Let me look at the card. Um, it might be. It might be. Because there are plenty of like mediocre no. fights on this card, but this was mediocre and took tape study. No, no, I would get rid of Friend versus Dumas because you know you mentioned because court. Dumas. Okay, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned court, so speaking of court, right, yeah. Speaking of yeah, your peremptory I have challenge. Been, right? I, I have been in a courtroom a lot. May, apparently, not as much as Dumas, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's say it's. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I didn't. I, I <laughs> okay, uh, Br- Bresky, uh, Brzezki. I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. Um, I'll say this for a heavyweight, he has really good volume. Like he he has like insane output for heavyweight. Like he he brings the action. He's got quick hands, a uh, busy jab. He loves his overhand right. He he lacks power for heavy, which is probably why he has so much volume. He, he just like pillow punching out there. Throws a lot of kicks, a lot of teep kicks, though they're all, often naked. He keeps his he keeps his chin high in the air, just this massive target to get cracked. Uh he lacks head movement on top, which is obviously not a good thing. Uh he can grind it in the Muay Thai clinch. He will look for takedowns, more of a catch a kick kind of wild thing to get it down. He's not like a very technical grappler. Uh, if he does hit the ground, he advances position. He's got some good ground upon. And I mentioned he has he has good cardio. He's going to go hard for 15 minutes now. Williams is already 33 years old, so you don't like that for some guy making it in his UFC debut. Now heavyweight obviously is so much different. I always have to put that like little caveat there. That's you know. Like little asterisk, we're talking about heavyweight, but uh, I, this is going to surprise you. I've liked this thing stuff I've seen of him. Uh, he's a, definitely a smaller heavyweight, former light heavyweight. He's a good athlete. He's fa- he's got some fast hands. He's got a good jab. Uh, he throws a straight th- straight shots down the pipe. I think he hits hard. Uh, some good teep kicks, good calf kicks, checks light kicks. But what I like most is what I saw in the contender series. He's a good wrestler. He out-wrestled Jimmy Lawson. Jimmy Lawson was a Penn State University wrestler. For those who don't follow NCAA wrestling, Penn State is the best wrestling school in America in college. They win every national championship. They're going to win. The national championship is two weeks from now. They're going to win that one. Uh, they won the today. I was watching the Big Ten championship. They won the Big Ten championship. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. Over, they're over the, the last 10 or 15 years, it's not even close. Yeah, they're the powerhouse wrestling organization. Mm-hmm. So to wrestle there 
is very I mean wrestling any division one is impressive but and Lawson was twice the size and Lawson was much bigger than yeah. him uh he got some body lock takedowns he shot through his hips held him down ground and pound him um and and did it for 15 minutes like he didn't slow down so I think this could could be a fun action fight I I like Bresky's reckless abandoned style however I'm leaning Williams he hits hard he's a good wrestler I think he hit lands a few takedowns. He he probably wins a decision. What did you say the betting line was? Williams minus one seventy, Brzezinski plus one forty. Okay, all right. I, I I was I thought it was a little closer than that. I like Williams even more than that though. So like, if you're a betting man, like negative one seventy, yeah, give me Williams. Um, I think the fight's gonna look a lot like the contender series matchup where he's just get hitting takedowns and beating him up from on top. Cool. Uh, do you have that as a decision? You think? Yeah, a I'll, I'll go with, yeah, I'll go with the decision. Yeah, I mean, and I, I should point out, most of the, the reason I, I hesitate on Williams is that he just hasn't faced much, like, he hasn't faced, like, a very high level of competition. Like, the, Lawson was the first even decent fighter with any kind of appreciable upside that he's really faced. On top of that, he's a, a late convert. I mean, he didn't even debut as a pro until he was past age 30 which at least he's competing in the one division where that's not going to prevent you from uh you know having a nice long career but you would like him to have had more than seven or eight career fights at age 33 uh i'm all the way out on on this guy he does some fun things but one thing is i mean if you're watching us on YouTube rather than listening to the audio. If you see Brzezinski's, uh fight finder photo underneath our faces right now, and he looks like an MMA fighter from a movie, he did not look like that anymore. Uh, <laughs> he, he's from Poland. I'm just going to say that Poland is famously less regulated than the U S when it comes to uh, performance enhancers. Uh, well, see also Lipsky. Uh, but by the time he debuted in the contender series, he did not look like that. Oh, and by the way, he still popped for roids. And then when he uh, fought against Budai, uh, you know, a year later, he looked even less like that. I mean, he's he's condensed 15 years of Mark Kerr's career into like two years, basically, just like going from like a superhero into like a melted candle. Uh, ironically, considering Williams is the former light heavyweight, Brzezinski like looks like a light heavyweight who just has, you know, like 20 pounds of kind of extra stuff on him at this point. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to stop Williams from taking him down if Williams wants to. And I think Williams is probably going to kind of mash and maul him once they get there. Uh, you have Williams by decision, and I can certainly see that. But I could also see Williams uh, getting a, like a TKO on the ground after two or three rounds of just kind of abuse. Uh, so I'll just, for the sake of being different, I'm going to go with that. Give me uh, Williams by a third round. Uh, third round TKO ground and pound, but uh, this might be a quick experiment for Lucas Brzezinski in the UFC. Next up at UFC Vegas 71, we have yet another matchup of contender series veterans looking for their first win in the octagon where uh, one of them has already had a chance and just not gotten it done. It is Victor Petrino versus Anton Turkali. 
Petrino, the 25-year-old Brazilian, is a perfect 7-0 as a mixed martial artist. He fought on the Contender Series last September, uh, where he knocked off Rodolfo Bellato in the second round. Makes his debut now against Tercali. The 26-year-old Swede, who goes by the Pleasure Man, and boy, does he need to change that. <laughs> no, good no, good for him. Good that for is, him. That is, that is, I, I really don't want to have to, to that's, say that. That's why he's gonna, hey, when he's at the bar and he runs to the Kardashian, that's the one he's going to introduce himself as. I'm the Pleasure Man. Yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, kill me. All right. Uh, he won on the Contender Series last July, uh, taking a unanimous decision over Acacio Dos Santos. He got the short notice call up to uh, fight Gilton Almeida just uh, about six weeks later at UFC 279. They met at a 215-pound catchweight, which played right into Almeida's hands since he was on his way up to heavyweight anyway. But for Turkali, who doesn't tend to ply his trade at 205, it was a tall order, and he got the moral victory of making it almost to the end of the first round before uh, getting choked out. So uh, second chance to get it done here for Tricali. He is the slightest of underdogs in that pursuit. Uh, Petrino right now is minus 140. Tricali plus 120. Keith, I, I mean, uh, tell me how you think this one plays out. Tricali got a super tall order as kind of a grappler uh, himself against a bigger, stronger, yeah. better grappler. Yeah. Uh, like throwing that aside, you know, do you see much upside for either of these guys at 205? Yeah, Portia Crowley. Imagine you, you, you get a call on 10 days notice to make a UFC debut. You're like, oh, man. It's already hard because you're getting – one, you're stepping up in competition going to UFC. You're getting on short notice. Uh, you got to move up a weight class. Oh, and you're going against Jelton Almeida. <laughs> like, what the well, fuck? Well, and I'm, I'm sure he was like, oh, cool. It's a 215, you know, so the other guy won't be too much big. Oh, shit. Takali, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's he's a minus athlete. He stands tall. A lot of arm punching. So not generating power. Not a lot of technique. Bit of a brawler on the feet. Throws a lot of combinations. I, I give him that. And he throws a lot of kicks. He attacks with calf kicks, but he throws naked kicks. He's open to counters. Uh, he like he'll a lot of it, all of his striking does. He wants to close the distance. The distance he wants to get in the body lock. Look for uh, like a trip takedowns. Definitely more of a BJJ grappler than he is a wrestler. So he's he's it, like there's nothing pretty about his grappling. He's not a submission threat or anything like that. Uh, so I shouldn't say BJJ grappler, but I mean like. He hasn't spent time in the wrestling room. He's a he he's a B, he's a BJJ wrestler. Like okay, let me grab your single. Okay, you fall down. Like you know, um, but he's got good cardio. I'll give him that. Now, move over to the Pleasure Man. Twenty five years old. He's very athletic, explosive, fast hands, nice snap on his shots. Throws a lot of hard hooks, power in both of his hands. Even better when uh, he works the body. He. I love his body shots. I like it in the contender series. He was as a fight, you know, his his opponent was getting in his you know in the pocket. He was starting to turn the punches to elbows, trying to catch him with like slicing elbows coming in, uh, stepping knees, quick, powerful high kick, uh, good movement. Uh, he was surprising, you know, even though he looked really good in the contender, series, he actually got clipped briefly and, and was dropped. Uh, good wrestler, shoots for takedowns, good top control, good ground and pound. 
he doesn't have any subs on his record, but when Bellato, who's his opponent on the contender series, who's known for his grappling, got on his back and backpacked him, he didn't panic. He slowly inched to a better position where he reversed stuff. Uh, so based on what I just said about both guys, I, I think you probably know which way I'm leaning. Uh, I, I think Pacino clips him. I think I think Pacino knocks him out. I'm going to say Pacino knocks him out in the very first round. Uh, maybe a high kick, maybe um, you know, maybe like a short hook or something. But uh, I like Pacino moving forward. I, I, negative 140. I think it should be closer to negative 200. So I'll give you a second one. I, I put another bet on that one if, if I'm a betting man. Uh, give me Pacino. Yeah. Yet another fight where I, I wish I had more intrigue to offer the listeners here, but there are some guys in the UFC light heavyweight division that Anton Tricali could beat. You know, it's a division without a ton of fight IQ, even going all the way up into, into the top 10. There's a lot of fighters that are incomplete fighters or make lots of mistakes. You know, it's like, Light, it's like the diet version of lightweight, which is exactly or of heavyweight, which is exactly what it is. So there are guys he could beat, but this is the second fight in a row where he's just getting a real tough draw because he is, and you know, disregard what his record looks like. You look at his record, he's got you know, five you know, TKOs and two submissions, and he's the six foot four Swede. You, you picture what, what he's probably like, and he's not. You know, he has a bunch of knockouts and TKOs, but he wants to grapple. It is his background. It's it's where his pleasure lies. But he's not much of an athlete, and he's a bit of a finesse grappler when things are on the ground, which just made Gileson Almeida the worst imaginable matchup for him. Uh, Petrino is not much better of a matchup. And for the reasons you mentioned, Keith, like for a guy that I don't know his exact background, but, uh, you know, didn't panic when Bellato was, you know, uh, was threatening. Also, you know, fought off some of his takedowns, like, very ably. Like, Tercali's not going to be able to get uh, takedowns on Petrino. And he's going to have to try. And in trying, he's just going to have to come into range. And he is, I'm with you, he's going to get clipped. Uh, He's... He's a tall guy that doesn't help himself by, you know, like he stands tall, his chin's way out there, doesn't have any head movement. He's slow of hand and foot, and Petrino is explosive. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wish I could differ with you here, but Petrino's going to clock him, and he's probably going to clock him in the first round as Tercali kind of barrels forward looking for, you know, either a, a clinch takedown or, you know, the kind of tall man, like, you know, collar and, and you know, knee tap or ankle pick type takedown. He's not going to get it against uh, Petrino. So yeah, give me Petrino by, by first round TKO here. And as young and kind of obviously athletic uh, as, as he is interested to see what he does next. We head now to the featherweight division for a matchup between Ricardo Hamos and Austin Lingo. Hamos, the 27 year old Brazilian is 16 and four overall He's 7-3 and three in the UFC. Most recently, he fought last June at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Emmett, where he plunked Danny Chavez with a spinning back elbow just a minute and 12 seconds into the first round. So uh, he's going to look to keep the good vibes going here against Lingo. The 28-year-old Greater Dallas native is 9-1 and one overall. He is 2-1 and one since joining the UFC uh, as a 
former standout from LFA. I mean, he would have been in line for a title shot if he'd stuck around, but he joined the UFC about three years ago, uh, debuted against Yusef Zalal, dropped a unanimous decision there, uh, came back and fought twice in 2021, winning both times, uh, beating Jacob Kilburn and Luis Saldana. But uh, that Saldana fight in August of 2021 is the last time we saw Lingo. So uh, a layoff of about a year and a half, uh, going on two years. But he's back, and he is a pretty big underdog. Hamos, minus 320, Lingo plus 240. Keith? I mean, both of these guys are pretty young for as as many long layoffs as they've had. Because yeah. I I've just without looking when I started pulling up information, I assumed Thomas would be thirty two or thirty three. Yeah, because he's like fought like once a year for what seems like forever, and, and he like go, gave up on him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it's like a junior version of the honey Barcelos thing. We're like, man, every time he fights, he seems pretty good, but he just doesn't fight enough. And he's still just 27 and Austin lingo. I mean, I was surprised that it's been like, you know, over a year and a half that he's been gone. And then once I realized that I was surprised that he's only 28, that means when he's got signed to the UFC, he was like 24 or 25. And yeah, I mean, well, he's, he was training at, he was one of these guys who like, he grew up training MMA. Yeah. That is a legend story of him. Like, Living with Donald Cerrone when he was like 14 or something like that on the ranch. He probably saw some shit he shouldn't have seen at that age. <laughs> what are you saying? Like, <laughs> saying Donald Cerrone wouldn't be a good babysitter? Oh, my goodness. I mean, he might now, now that he has like a, a, a kid of his own and is like all responsible. But at that age, like a decade ago, no, no I don't want that. <laughs> He's going to have a sippy cup with like, you know, Bud Light in it. All right. Uh, Hamos is a greater than three to one favorite here. I mean, yeah, hit me, man. Tell, tell me what you got, but yeah, I, I don't like that betting line. Like, I, I, I just don't. Tr- I mean, a guy who's been out, both guys who've been out that long, yeah. and based on their ages and they're at the ages where they can make big improvements, I, I don't think he should be a three to one favorite. I mean, I understand him being a favorite, but that big is is pretty massive. Um, Hamos, he's he's a really good athlete. Like, that's the first thing that I think of when I watch him fight. He's a Muay Thai striker. Uh, he can be a little too patient at times. Uh, little, you know, throwing single strikes. Uh, he's got a great kicking game. I mean, such dexterity in his hips where he can just throw up a high kick with ease. Uh, I love his question mark kick. He loves throwing spinning attacks, but I, which I don't like. But I mean, it, it's 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 been a minute, <laughs> which is kind of the case with Hamos. But uh, he did have that incredible spinning knockout of Amin Sahabi. Uh, he likes to work from distance. That's where he wants to do. The key to beating him is to press him on his back foot. I mean, you go back to like the uh, Tukagov fight. That was what he was able to do against uh, Hamos, um, and he's not comfortable there. If you crowd him, he's best. Like he's not. He's 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 weaker striking that he's best if he's got to like initiate a plum clinch and he can kind of because he, he's a very traditional Muay Thai guy where he can wear in there. I don't think he gets enough credit for his wrestling. He's he's got some good body lock takedowns. He showed some good wrestling takedown defense against Tukagov. Uh, though I do think Tukagov, and we've talked about this, I do think his wrestling is a little overrated. Uh, he uh, Hamos is a, a a good grappler, strong top control. He's got seven submission wins. He uses those long legs uh, to make make it hard to shake off your back. Like we see him like getting in those hooks in and just that like long man's 
uh, leg riding. He does play BJJ off his back, which which I don't like. Now, Lingo, he's a pressure striker. He marches forward. He throws a lot of hard shots. He generates good power because he sits on his punches. His his counter right hand is his best strike. His his left hook is another good strike. He will work the body. He's he showed serious power on the regional scene. I mean, you go back before he was in his UFC debut. He has a 13 second knockout, a 25 second knockout, and another 25 second knockout. Uh, we haven't seen that power to that level in the UFC, but he, he probably has it. And of course, I understand that some of that knockout is is lesser competition, but um, still, this. The cracking guys that quickly shows you got some power. He's a weaker wrestler. Let me go back to the use of Salal fight. Yeah. Salal had so much success wrestling him, uh, and he really struggled to get back up. I'm a little worried about Lingo's health. I mean, he hasn't fought in two years, and he's been scheduled twice since that stretch, and he pulled out twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I'm assuming he's healthy for this. And if if I'm Lingo's corner, I'm telling him. Get in his face, throw bombs, make this a brawl. Because um, if he doesn't and he gives Hamos space, Hamos can really work him uh, from the outside. If he lets Hamos get inside and 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 get some takedowns, Hamos is really good there. I don't think Hamos should be a three to one favorite, but I I do think he should be like negative one seventy five, something like that. I think he he. He outpoints him from the outside with his, with the speed advantage, gets some takedowns. Uh, he, you know what? I'm gonna say he locks in a submission too. Uh, no, no, I, I'm not gonna say submission. I, I'll say almost by by decision. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you pointed that out about Lingo that he's been booked several times in uh, the last year and a half, and in both cases it was him who withdrew uh, due to injury. So it does make you wonder what he's going to look like when he comes back. Like, even if he's not diminished from where he was, you know, might not have made, made the strides that a 27, 28-year-old fighter otherwise could have o- over that uh, stretch of time. Uh, where, yeah, I almost every time he fights, I'm just reminded of how promising he is. And still at this point, he's he's only lost to really good fighters in the UFC. He's lost to Saeed Nurmagomedov, who we're going to talk about in a minute, Zubair Tukugov in a close fight, and then got crushed by Laurent Murphy. But, I mean, speak of people that are super promising and just disappear because of injury. Yeah, I think the guy existed. And, and then you remember, oh, right, that guy's undefeated and beat some really good people before he disappeared like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, but assuming these guys are basically the same that, that they have been, that they're trending in the same direction – uh, I I like Hamos in this one big time as well. Like I'm not three to one, comf- like uh, confident in him just because it, it's hard to be. But he ha- he definitely has more avenues to victory. Uh, I I think he has the advantage on the feet, just more power. The ill-advised spinning back elbow that at this point, having cleanly knocked out two people with it, I can't criticize him until he loses two fights because of it. <laughs> and and that, that hasn't happened yet. So, uh, and you pointed out he's an underrated wrestler, which is a nice safety valve. If I, I mean, if Lingo really uh, commits to coming forward and, and pressuring him and trying to put him on the back foot, a couple of reactive takedowns can really like defuse that and turn it to his advantage. Uh, you know, if he's willing to do that, even if he's just willing to do it once or twice in the early going, uh, 
that would stand him in really good stead in this fight. Just, yeah, m- most of the the plausible ways this fight plays out like f- seem to favor uh, Hamos. Uh, so give me Hamos in this fight as well by, I'm going to say a pretty one-sided uh, decision. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes all three rounds and, and Lingo just kind of looks frustrated. Next up at UFC Fight Night 221, and the fight order on this card is very much in in flux, but I'm pretty confident in saying it is part of the main card, is a bantamweight matchup between Saeed Nurmagomedov and Jonathan Martinez. Nurmagomedov, the 30-year-old Dagestani, is 17-2 overall. He is 6-1 in the UFC uh, since joining back in uh, mid-2018. He lost to Honey Barcelos in December of 2019, the night that Keith and I very famously uh, or infamously on the recap ran up the UFC, you know, Bantamweight top 15 and and kind of uh, played Barcelos off against them. Nonetheless, uh, since that loss, Nurmagomedov has rattled off four straight wins over uh, increasingly stiff competition. Uh, Mark Striegel to Cody Stamen to Douglas Silva the Andrade to Saeed Yakub Kakramanov, uh, barely breaking a sweat in most of these fights. The most recent of those, the Kakramanov fight, was a second round submission win at UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus Strickland back in December. He's going to look to make it five in a row and in <clears throat> pardon me, insert himself into the even further into the top ten and into potentially the title picture. Uh you know, this year standing in his way, the ever surprising Martinez, the 28 year old from East Texas by way of uh, Denver is 17 and four overall. He's eight and three in the UFC. Uh, He also is on a four fight win streak. Uh, He got knocked out by Davey Grant almost exactly two years ago. Since then, uh, he's rattled off four straight wins over his Viad Lazishvili, Alejandro Perez, Vince Morales, and Cub Swanson. The most recent of those, the Swanson fight, was at UFC Fight Night, Grasso versus Araujo, last October, where he sawed off the veterans' legs with a diet of nasty leg kicks, getting the stoppage late in the second round. Uh, Odds on this one, find Nurmagomedov a moderate favorite. He's minus 180 or so. Martinez, plus 155. Keith, I have freely admitted over the last year or so that I've underestimated Jonathan Martinez. I mean, when you drop into the UFC and you lose to Andre Sukumtat in your debut, I write you off. And it apparently takes me a couple of years to, to kind of correct my mind on you. That's, like that's, that's a head scratch. That is a head scratch when it comes to losses for guys. I, it, it is, but you know, he was taking a yeah. huge step up. Like, it's not even like he was a guy that had like six fights in LFA and was just on the short list. Hmm. He kind of came out of nowhere, really seemed to learn to fight on the job. And all of a sudden he's eight and three in the UFC. It's very much like I said about JJ Aldrich. I'm like, I thought he was not a good fighter. And then all next thing I knew he was on a four fight win streak and eight and three in the UFC and knocking on the door of the rankings himself, even if he's not favored here. For a guy in Martinez that the best part of his game is still his kicks. I mean, he beat Cub Swanson with basically nothing but kicks in, in his last fight. But a guy with hard kicks with both legs to all levels. I mean, he throws them to the to the legs, throws them to the body, throws them upstairs. He's good at varying uh, locations and speeds. Like, he's, he's just a great kicker. 
uh, and has sort of finally started to build the rest of an MMA skill set around that, that's a tough ask against Nurmagomedov because uh, Nurmagomedov is is of the variety of Dagestani fighter that can wrestle and leans on it when he needs to. But when he needs to and he leans on it, he's very, very good at it. So when you're bringing a kicking game as kind of your your main source of offense, a couple of takedowns or just one takedown early in the first round that ends up losing you that round because you spend four minutes and 10 seconds on the bottom has a way of defusing that. So much as I'm pleasantly surprised to see Martinez's uh, development in the UFC Bantamweight division, I think this is where he's probably going to hit his ceiling, at least for the moment. I mean, and I'm not the only one who thinks that since, since Nurmagomedov is almost a two-to-one favorite. But, I mean, Barcelos is the only guy that's beaten Nurmagomedov in the UFC, and he did it by managing to equal him both in the striking and in the wrestling department. And Martinez just isn't going to have that for him. Uh, give me Nurmagomedov by a dominant decision here. Uh, and I imagine it's going to be some rinse and repeat takedowns. And if Martinez starts to get tired, discouraged, worn out later in the fight, Nurmagomedov could start teeing off on the feet as well. Uh, so, yeah, give me Nurmagomedov by by lopsided decision here. Well, um, yeah, I'm I'm not nearly as confident as you are. Um, the Nurmagomedov, he's well-rounded. That's the first thing I was thinking about, and you kind of touched on that. He, he's a, he's very calculated striker, technical, good like point fighter from distance. He he will explode when there's an opening. Uh, he almost like whips his punches. Uh, he's got good speed, good power. Uh, he makes a mistake of of leaning back a little bit when striking, trying to avoid getting counters. So he does lose a little power with that. But um, overall, a good striker, good good kicking game. Uh, another guy we talk about is dexterity. He can kind of sneak in some high kicks into his combinations. Uh, which he which hides because of his you know throw a takedown and all this other stuff. I've I've compared his kicks in the past to like Stephen Thompson where he like throws it as the the last thing in the combination that kind of just um, almost like you feel like you're safe and then also you get like a question mark kick in the head. He's a good wrestler as you said. Like he doesn't for an amalgamative he doesn't wrestle enough, but when he does he's good. He's good at winning scrambles. He does need to improve his top control. Uh, that's because he. He's a really good submission artist, and he goes for things. I think he's got like five or six submissions in his career, uh, including the one in his last fight where he he jumped on a, a beautiful guillotine. Uh, Martinez, southpaw, te- technical striker, uh, great from the outside. He just kind of pops shots with these fast hands, accurate, crisp jab. Uh, I love that he works the body. I love that he's added some step and knees to his game. And you mentioned I'm, everything starts with his kicks. I mean, he's got some of the best kicks in the game. His deep kicks, his calf kicks are absolutely brutal. He just he tosses a bunch of high kicks to keep his his opponent honest, uh, and he does it with ease. But like he'll toss a high kick and then come right back down to a calf kick. Um, he throws kicks in his combinations. I like he, he he throws some flying knees. He's not much of of a of a grappler. He hardly ever looks to get the fight to the ground. But in fantasy, he did take down Cub Swanson. Um, but he's he's been hurt. He's you know, Davy Grant, uh, you know, clipped him and hurt him. So that's concerning. I think this fight is fire. I think this is one of the best fights on the card. I think Martinez is like a sniper right now. Uh, but his kicks, as you mentioned, is such a big part of his game. And 
I don't know if he can. I don't know if that's that tool that he can really access in a guy like Nemargamanov. He's going to have to go down to the calves because if he goes to the body or he goes high, it's not going to be wise. Nemargamanov's going to catch a kick or just bull rush him when he does it. Until he shows me he can stop top takedowns, I got to lead Nemargamanov. I think we could have some more. I think we'd have some fun moments, but the takedowns of Nemargamanov gives gives me uh, gives me the victory. I'm going to say Nemargamanov by decision. We head now to the light heavyweight division for an intriguing top 10 matchup that was originally scheduled to be the headliner of UFC Fight Night 220 just two weeks ago was uh, bumped on fight day, uh, like after the weigh-ins. I can't remember whether it's after the event actually started, but no, I think it was. Wasn't Allen versus Muniz bumped up to the yeah, main event? Like, during, yeah, during, during, the during the card. Yeah, uh, I, I remember I said it, I thought something happened to Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is Nikita Krylov versus Ryan Spann. That one was uh, canceled due to an illness uh, on the part of Krylov. We were not given any specifics, just that he was ill and was not medically cleared to compete. Uh, I will just speculate wildly. When something happens between the weigh-ins and the actual fight night, it's usually fighters rehydrating just you know, eating and drinking like they're very dehydrated and he would not be the first fighter that just got a case of like bad diarrhea and vomiting, got dehydrated again, needed an IV. And regardless of all the Makachev controversy, you know, like needing an IV, like after the actual event starts is, is going to be a, a non-starter for, you know, being able to compete that day. I wouldn't be surprised if it were something like that, but you know, it's, it's not like he, broke his ankle or got COVID or something that is probably going to make either of us feel very different about this fight two weeks later. Uh, Keith, I'm going to just plug in that preview right here. I mean, do you feel any different about your pick? All right, then uh, I'm not even going to bother putting that weird, like old timey filter on this because, you know, uh, it was two weeks ago. I had the same haircut. So yeah, uh, I did it. Well, Keith got a new haircut in in the meantime. And if I did, you wouldn't know anyway, because I usually wear a hat. Krylov, the 30-year-old Ukrainian, is 29-9 and overall. He is 10-7 and across two different stints in the UFC. Uh, he is 4-4 four and four since uh, returning most recently. He is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, knocked out Alexander Gustafsson last July at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall. Uh, that was the... UFC London 2 card, came back at UFC 280 in October and took a unanimous decision, fairly one-sided, over Volkan Uzdemir. He will look to make it three in a row against Span. The 31-year-old Texan is 21-7 and seven overall. He is 7-2 and two since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he also is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, since losing... Uh, Since getting submitted by Anthony Smith back in September of 2021, he rattled off two straight wins, uh, choking out Ivan Kudalaba in May, and then coming back in November at UFC 281 and knocking out Dominic Reyes in the first round. Odds here, fairly close, but uh, Krilov is a moderate favorite. He's minus 150, span plus 120. Keith, we just finished talking about the co-main event, and I mentioned that you know, I, I've had to kind of get wise to the idea that uh, Brandon Allen is in no way a, a bust. He's just a still a hot prospect who's hit a few speed bumps. I've got to think the same, same thing about Ryan Spann. Uh, yeah. 
And honestly, to a lesser extent, even Nikita Krilov. I mean, mm-hmm. again, if you go back far enough that you remember his like first heavyweight fights in the UFC literally a decade ago when he was one of the youngest people on roster and he was this pudgy 232-pound heavyweight and oh, oh, also sucked at fighting and was terrible. It's hard to believe that he is a legit you know, borderline contender, a guy that like skirts around the, the edges of the top 10. This fight is pretty legit. I'm with you that the co-main event is probably a little higher level and more divisionally relevant than the main event, but this this main event is is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, Krilov is the same fighter he's always been at light heavyweight, just a slightly more refined version. Uh, when he finally dropped to light heavyweight in his first run through the UFC, he turned into a light heavyweight who's big, very athletic, has a variety of weapons on the feet as well as on the ground, a finisher, but terrible fight IQ, questionable cardio, and frequent defensive lapses, which is why he's barely over 500 in the UFC. And he's not quite on that Michael Johnson level, but in that same realm of, dude, your best wins and your worst losses are so weird to hold up against each other. Uh, That's... And that's still the case today. His cardio is a little better, but it's still not great. And you still need a little cardio to to do well at 205. Like, at least the best guys at 205 have good cardio. Yeah. Like, just, I mean, the fact that since he's been back in the UFC, he beat open St. Prue, and that's a guy that he literally got Vaughn Prue choked by the first time they fought, but (laughs) outgassed St. Prue, didn't get caught up in the chaos, and just beat him bad. And then, again against Johnny Walker, a guy where this has every possibility of Krilov winning until he loses and lets Johnny Walker do Johnny Walker things to him and didn't let that happen. That gave me hope for him. And then he yeah. di- He goes right into letting Paul Craig be Paul Craig. Yeah. Yeah. The Eklaf loss isn't bad, but the Paul Craig submission is bad. It's just, dude, it's, it's all he does. Like, why? And... I mean, and Span, I'll be able to say this about him as well, but beating a very faded Alexander Gustafson and a very faded Volkan Uzdemir just doesn't give me enormous confidence in him. Like, I'm not sure that he's turned a corner. I think maybe he's just fought two guys that, in the case of Gustafson, didn't last long enough to test his gas tank. And in the case of Uzdemir, ironically, since Uzdemir used to be one of the scariest knockout artists in the division, just no longer has what it takes to take advantage of Krilov's defensive lapses. Like a guy that throws as wild and throws as many head kicks as Krilov and doesn't protect his chin. If, if they'd even met in like 2016, Uzdemir would have lamped him. Uh, that's Krilov to me. Spanned. It's all still there for the taking, man. He is, he's in the team photo for the biggest light heavyweight in the history of the sport. Like, I'm sure Johnny Walker is a few pounds heavier on fight night, but span is Titanic and his height and his wingspan and the length of his legs is every bit as big. He generally uses it pretty well, uh, has crushing power. Uh, but um, I think of him as a little bit wild as, uh, as as a striker as well. He's got two losses in the UFC. The Johnny Walker one is questionable, you know, Johnny Walker probably should have been, if not disqualified, at least, you know, warned, penalized, restarted. Uh, then, you know, lost to Anthony Smith. That's 
Anthony Smith might just be a better fighter. Um, yeah, that's a good. Loss. And s- since then, you know, he has easy wins over Kudalaba and Reyes. Kudalaba is like the poor man's Krilov, and Reyes is every bit as faded as the people Krilov's been fighting. So one guy's going to get his third straight win here, move a notch up in the top 10. The other guy will take a step back. I'm leaning Span, even though he's the underdog here. Wow. I just, I, if Krilov is smart, he'll try to wrestle Span. It's a good offensive wrestler. Span is all legs and tries to defend takedowns with a guillotine. Like if Krilov is smart, he'll wrestle Span. It's a good guillotine though. Yeah. The thing is, <laughs> Betting on Krilov to be smart, I'm, I'm, I'm past it. I it's expect instead, Krilov will, you know, try to throw head kicks. He'll, like, come in swinging wildly. He'll force the clinch, which is not where you want to be with Ryan Span, And uh, I think Span will punish him. Uh, give me Ryan Span by, I'm going to say second round TKO here. Just wears down Krilov because Span, I mean, he hasn't had to go past the first round in a while, but... He's been fine the few times he's had to. Granted, he was winning those fights, and you know when you dictate the pace, your gas is better. But uh, yeah, give me Span to maybe have a bit of a wild first round, but catch Krilov in the second. All bets are off if Krilov shoots a takedown on the first thirty seconds, even if it's just to keep Span honest. But I, I'm not betting on it. He shoots it without a setup. He might get a guillotine. Like that guillotine's pretty good, though. I mean, he jumps for it. He's it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, this is should this should be just a fun fight. Like I agree, it's going to answer. I don't know if it's answer questions, but it's it's definitely going to propel some guy much higher up the rankings. Where it's like it's hard to get excited about both these guys because again, the wins aren't that exciting. This would be a good win for either guy. Uh, as Krilov, he's a he's a good athlete. He's elusive. He's got good footwork. He's got good hand speed. Uh, he does drop his hands a little bit, uh, but he's got a really good kicking game, as you mentioned. Uh, he mixes his striking and his takedown attempts together well. Uh, he, I think you, I think you rank his his wrestling a little bit bit higher than I do, uh, but I would say that he's a solid wrestler. Uh, but defensively, he's been taken down uh, more for my liking. So his, so his offensive wrestling is good. I think his overall wrestling isn't as I'm not as high on. Uh, he has a submission threat. He has he has 15 career subs. Uh, he almost caught Glover to share in a submission. So that tells you everything you need to know. One of the greatest grapplers in the history of the division, or, or history of the UFC, regardless of division. Uh, I don't like that he was hurt by Volkanos to bear. But he did show his ability to recover. Where in the past he would have like done something wild and got clipped or something, uh, and. I used to think he didn't have the greatest cardio, but I think it's more of a body language thing now where he, he just he's a guy who just he's, he looks like he's tired. Where um, if you look at his output, his output doesn't drop. Like even in a fight where he looked tired. Now, Span, you mentioned, is a huge, uh, huge man, long and lengthy uh, on the feet. He's a patient striker uh, who's I think he's shown more improvements in his striking. He was he was really good at picking up the timing of Dominic Reyes in his last fight. Um, when he does throw, he throws some serious power. I mean, he put down Dominic Reyes with a jab. Uh, his left hook is a crushing shot. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for his ground game. He's got 11 submission wins. Uh, with, 12 you now. Know, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. 12 submission yeah. wins. Uh, you mentioned uh, his guillotine. His gu- guillotine is a specialty. Uh, he caught Kudalaba in it. Uh, he almost uh, standing triangle choked Sam Alvey. Uh, Again, that's Sam Alvey, but like that's not a guy that you submit. 
Uh, I would be shocked if this fight goes to the judges. Uh, I think both guys are finishers. Um, I'm with you, man. I'm going with the upset. Uh, Krylov has been cracked a little too much for my liking. I think if if Span lands a big shot, lands a big blow, he could he could put Krylov down. Or if Krylov makes a mistake, reaches down for a single, leaves his head there, shoots a double without setting something up, uh, Span can jump on a guillotine. So. Uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I'm saying, you know, I'm going to say that I say Span hurts him, and then he jumps on a guillotine. So give me Span by first round submission. Next up, what is going to end up as the co-main event of UFC Vegas 71, unless the rescheduled Krylov versus Span fight ends up bumping it, is a heavyweight matchup between Alexander Volkov and Alexander Romanov. Volkov, the 34-year-old Russian, is 35-10 and 10 over the course of his well-traveled mixed martial arts career. He is 9-4 and four since joining the UFC as a former uh, M1 Global and Bellator heavyweight champ. He has alternated wins and losses over his last five fights, uh, but he is on the upswing of that back-and-forth pattern. Uh, in his last appearance last June in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 207, uh, he knocked out Jairzinho Rosenstrike in just over two minutes. So he's going to look to break out of that pattern by winning two in a row, and standing in his way will be Romanov. The 32-year-old Moldovan is 16-1 overall. He is 5-1 in the UFC. That's the good news. The bad news is that the one was his last outing. Uh, he came into UFC 278 last August undefeated at 16-0, dropped a majority decision to Marcin Tybura. Uh, so he's going to look to bounce back from his first career loss, and he is ever so slightly favored to do so. Romanov, minus 120. Volkov available at even money, plus 100. Uh, Keith, I mean, I, we kind of make fun of heavyweight enough and legitimately complain about the quality of heavyweight MMA enough that you know, our, our regular listeners are used to my term, you know, the obligatory unranked heavyweight slobber knocker of, of which we have one on this card, but this is not it. This is a, like heavyweight is finally deep enough that we have two good fighters in the top 10 fighting in a fight that does not have immediate title implications. Like, that's how deep the division is. It's almost a good thing that two fighters this good are getting to fight, and it's just sort of just another good fight. And not only are they two good fighters, they're two fighters that have measurably improved over the course of their UFC run. And that's not a super common thing to say about heavyweights either. Like, most heavyweights don't get better. Like, they kind of are what they are, and they, they just kind of ride it out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. like, the best you can say is... Pirogan is an example. <laughs> Sur Surreal Gun, like, I mean, he's going to get more chances, but right now Surreal Gun is a fighter that is still good at th things he was good at, and, and he ain't fixed the things that he wasn't. Uh, that is not the case for either of these guys. I, I mean, the, the overrated thing about Alexander Volkov is his pre-UFC record. I mean, he came in and he was like, oh, he was an M1 and a Bellator heavyweight champ. That sounds cool, but both of those heavyweight divisions were bad at the time. And he lost to the good fighters he fought. Like, as soon as he ran into someone good in M1, Vitaly Minikov cleaned his clock. In Bellator, like, that was back when Bellator's heavyweight division was completely awful. And <laughs> once he even ran into, like, the middling... Oh, it's not it's not awful now. <laughs> it's better now than it was. I mean, dude, after Comrade left, like, he won a championship 
and he left after losing to like Sheck Congo and oh, Timothy God. Johnson. Like oh. he is it in the UFC. I mean, he may never fight for a title. He may never win a title, but Volkov has continued to improve. And and it, dude, I I like Volkov. I'm just I'm a, I'm a fan of the guy and his development as a fighter. When when he debuted in the UFC back in 2016, 2017, I mean, he was this towering guy. Frankly, he was kind of gangly and I mean almost like bird chested. He's like the six foot eight bird chested. <laughs> like he looked like a giant bang Ludwig. Like he looked uh, like this Titanic bang Ludwig and didn't use his height super, super effectively. Uh like shorter fighters could get in and land on him. He could be taken down. And he's really improved on that. And aside from a moment of inattention against Derek Lewis that allowed Lewis to do Lewis things to him. He's only lost to fighters who are just much better than him. Like, kind of like I said about um, who was it on on the last? Oh, Derek Brunson. He's lost badly, but he doesn't have any bad losses. Like, that's kind of what Volkov has, has become. He's become one of the best heavyweights in history at using his height to his his advantage. Like, so many ultra tall heavyweights are terrible at using their height to their advantage, and the few that are good at it carve out good careers like think of think of how much mileage tim sylvia got out of just being willing to throw a freaking jab yeah like well, he, he was a, some of that has to do with the, the era too but no it, it absolutely has to do with the era <laughs> one of his title defenses was against jeff munson who's i think shorter than me and yeah and jeff munson was like <laughs> but because he was willing to throw a jab munson was was reduced to shooting double legs from like 15 feet away <laughs> Like where he literally like come up short like a three year old like rolling a bowling ball down the thing where it just kind of stops halfway down the lane, like, uh, I mean, dude, he, he also beat two people that were taller than him in the UFC, or he beat Wes Sims right before the UFC. He beat McGee in the UFC. Wes Sims guys, is tall though. Yeah, Wes Sims is six nine. Oh shit. Yeah, like, but like what all I I don't want to get that far off. But just, yeah, just, we we we, we yeah. can go down the memory lane. Yeah, but I mean, Volkov now has a tooth loosening jab. Just that simple front kick up the middle, because he's so big, is is, is like it's enough to keep sub elite heavyweights off him. And he's put on weight. And when he debuted in the UFC, he was about two forty, and like I say, a, like a little bird chested. Now he's like two fifty five, and most of it he's put on his upper body. Like his his legs have always been pretty thick for a guy of his height, but he's put more mass on his upper body. And aside from like Curtis blades and Tom Aspinall, like both of whom are huge and very good wrestlers. People haven't like been able to take him down with any consistency. He's, he's become the best fighter Alexander Volkov can be. And I think that's admirable. And there's another guy kind of on a similar track in, in Romanov. Like when Romanov debuted in the UFC and he was undefeated at the time, I think he was like 11 and 0. I remember watching the tape because he debuted after we were doing previews. I was like, well, this is going to be a whole lot of fun while it lasts because he's like this 6'1", 6'2", guy who at the time was like 265, built like a fire hydrant, and his game was built on ridiculously overdone takedowns. Like I'm like, the minute this guy finds someone he can't ragdoll and arm triangle in two minutes, he's going to gas out so bad. And the UFC heavyweight division is so bad that it took him several fights to get there. Mm-hmm. But 
here, these are his weights in his 60 UFC fights. 261, 260, 264, 260, 237, 239. Wow. <clears throat> the third fight was against Juan Espino, and that's the one where, dude, he got the win, but he basically chickened out. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. Where, where he's laying on the ground after that foul, and he literally asked the ref, if I can't go on, do I win, or is it a no contest? Dude, if you have the presence of mind to ask that, you can probably fight. But he was like, <laughs> both guys were gassed, but he was more gassed than Espino. And like, he just, I, I assume he like got his hand raised, ran straight to a getaway car and like zoomed off and went back to Moldova <laughs> for his next camp. But dude, two that's fights like, later. Like a Shawn, a Shawn Michaels grabbing the belt when they screwed Bret Hart. And yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, I, got a, I got a WWF 80s or 90s WWF reference in. Yeah, there you go. I where was that one? Whitaker versus Gastelum. Like, was that the the Melbourne screw job or was that one in, in Vegas? I, I don't remember. Anyway, uh but two fights later, he drops 25 pounds. So all of a sudden he's this 237-pound guy, and he still like spends too much energy on his wrestling, but he's gotten a little more efficient and in my opinion, he should still be undefeated. Like I had the the March in Tibera fight a draw. I thought he got a 10-8 round the first round, and then yeah. Tybura won the second and third rounds. And while Tybura was the fresher guy in the third round, it's not like Romanov completely fell off a cliff and Tybura was able to put a 10-8 round on him or, or threaten to finish him in any way. Just it got harder and harder for him to get takedowns, and by the third round, he really couldn't anymore. So, I mean, Romanov in his own humble way is kind of turning into the best version of what you know, his body and skill set are, but it's a big ask against Volkov. Uh, I've got Volkov in this one because Romanov is, I mean, he's a super powerful, like Greco-Roman style takedown guy. I mean, he doesn't shoot on legs. He gets in, gets a body lock, takes the back standing, hoists you and suplexes you. And if he doesn't feel like he stuck the landing, he hoists you and suplexes you again. Like he, he he's the kind of guy that like gives like gives himself a mat return if he didn't like the takedown like uh, enough. Like he's just gonna, <laughs> he's gonna hoist you back up and throw you again. Uh, and I think he's just gonna have to work too hard for takedowns against Volkov. Uh, it's gonna cost him because Volkov is actually pretty good at getting his hips out of the way. Uh, just kind of and and again when not working against. Aspinall or Blades uh, is good at avoiding too much damage on the ground, working his way uh, back to his feet. Uh, he's good at wall walking. And I think Romanov is probably just going to wear himself out. Like even if, if, even if Romanov wins the first round handily, unless he gets a 10, eight, like he does against Tybura, I'm feeling super confident in, in my Volkov pick here, but I do have Volkov by decision in this one. It won't be the prettiest thing. It'll be an Alexander Volkov fight, but give me Volkov by the third round to just be kind of, jabbing front kicking uh, a tired Romanov. And if Romanov really pushes the issue, uh, Volkov has got uh, enough meanness to really punish people that crash into his uh, space, you know, w without setting it up with something. And, and I could see Romanov doing that, but give me Volkov to win a decision in this one going away. Yeah. Um, I was surprised by the betting line. Um, just, I I never ever look at the betting line for sure. a reason because I, I I don't want to be influenced by it, and especially when I'm like on the fence on a fight. 
Uh, but I do like when you're talking, I try to like guess a little bit what's the betting line. And I just assume Vol- Volkov would be the favorite be based on his last performance. Uh, Tybora getting a win over uh, Romanov in their last fight. I just, <clears throat> I knew it'd be close because it's such, it's a very, it's, I really think it's a tough stylistic matchup for both guys. Mm-hmm. If, if you were saying stylistically, who's the toughest guy? Well, I mean, not for more enough. I mean, like a really strong wrestler, like a Curtis Blade or something. But I mean, but I mean, still, like, what's a tough stylistic matchup? Oh, but, a guy who's seven feet tall who has that like tall man's. Like you have to lift them up, and then you got to lift them up again. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, Volkov. Besides the guys, he's who's out wrestled them. The like Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. Like who else is a tough stylistic matchup? Well, the guy who wants. You're probably the you know the the best remaining wrestler in the division, but it, but all those other guys are ranked way higher. Like in their same uh, in their same general stratum yeah. of the rankings. Okay. I, yeah, I that's agree. Yeah. Way. yeah, that's yeah. probably a better way to say it. in that tier. Uh, so I thought it would be close. I just I was a little surprised that a that Romanov, the guy coming off a loss. I just checked MMA decision. I kind of forgot how I scored it. I I agree. I scored it a draw too. So um, I do think. Romanov should also be undefeated. I like how he talked about the thickness of Volkov because we were talking about this height, but he has put on on some size that he's not the skinny little thing anymore. He's a he's a technically sound striker, uh, nice jab, straight punches down the pipe. He's accurate. He showed against um, Rosina Stroke uh, this like meanness and power that he has now. He's not just a point fighter. Uh, I love that you talk about the teep kicks because that's such a good weapon. He's really good at like pointing the toes and getting the toes to grind into your liver and stuff. Uh, if if you get inside of him, he's he's starting to use movement well to get back to range. Like he's understanding how to keep distance better than he did in the past. Uh, he he understands just touching and and unloading power shots when it's, there's only an opening, not wasting it. Uh, you mentioned Derek Lewis lost. I mean that fight was such a long time ago that. That's the only time he gets really hurt. I mean, Cyril Gon has that game where he can kind of work and, and get you to really be intimidated based on his, his footwork is, and how technically sound he is. But no one has really hurt Volkov other than that like one punch against Derek Lewis forever ago. Uh, you mentioned that he's been taken down uh, by Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. I mean, Curtis Blades took him down 14 times, <laughs> which is – uh, pretty impressive, and he was absolutely smoked by Tom Aspinall. So that's obviously a concern against a guy like Romanoff, a, a, a powerful wrestler. Romanoff's the southpaw, who I do think his – you talk about his physique and, and his commitment changing. I was thinking his, his striking has improved a little bit over the time. Now, it, it still has, like, huge um, areas of growth, and his striking is simply – it's just – I don't know if it's even serviceable, but it's – you know, one notch below it, but it's 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 just to make it easier for him to close the distance where he can get to the clinch, use those upper body takedowns, the Greco-Roman style, throw a lateral drop, uh, a bear hug, something like that. Uh, he will shoot at times, but it's definitely like not his norm for takedowns. The thing about him, besides his is just how physically strong he is. I mean, he suplexed Chase Sherman in a fight. Like again, we're talking about the worst, you know, one of the worst wrestlers uh, on the roster, but he still took a heavyweight and suplexed him. 
Uh, strong top game if he gets on top. Very uh, like smothering guy. Control the position, then slowly advance on the ground. Uh, oh, dude, he got like he got like a UFC three submission on Marcos Jerio de Lima, just like the forearm choke. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just a super big man submission. Just like a yeah. big strong guy. Like like I think he. If we were lining up the UFC heavyweights, just pure guess. If we line up the UFC heavyweights and like just had him arm wrestle, like I'm taking Rumbaugh. Yeah, yeah I, even I, though he's probably lighter than the average at this point. At 237, he's on the lighter half of yeah. the UFC's heavyweights. He, I, I'd, I'd probably pick you know it what? too. The only guy I think I'd take over him is uh, well, I don't know how to say his name. The, the he was the Olympic wrestler, the one that uh, popped for everything against Dante Mays. Oh, um, like that guy might arm wrestle. Have the Abdel Wahab. The yeah. Wahab. He might beat him in an arm wrestling match. But, yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, Romanov be be up there yeah. for the arm wrestling. Uh, you know, he's got a smother in top game, good ground and pound. He's a legit submissions right. He's got nine subs on his record. You know, if if he can't fight on the ground and keep it there, his gas tank does fail. Him. I I agree what you said because I think one of the narratives heading into this fight is that his gas tank is is non-existent or something like that. Like, oh, if you can survive the first round. I, I agree. He did gas against Tybora, um, but he wasn't completely shot. Like, he still um, – he just lost rounds. He lost close, closer rounds to a good fighter. My, my Shane Tybora is a good fighter. Yeah. Um, so I've been really on the fence on this one. Uh I could see Volkov just moving, picking him up range, throwing those teep kicks. I could see him catching him with a teep kick. Um, but you mentioned that he faced, you know, he struggled against Blaze and he struggled with Asma when nobody else has really been to take him down. But then when you look at his record, who else is a wrestler other than those two guys? Like nobody, <laughs> you know. I, I, I get, well, Tybora can wrestle a little bit. So, uh, in fairness, but, you know, Tybora. Is not the rest of the Romanov, and we saw that when Romanov took him down in the first round. Um, I thought I was taking an upside pick. That's why I was a little a little upset with with Volkov <laughs> being the uh, favorite. I'm gonna go with Romanov. It, it, I'm gonna say he gets some takedowns and he wins a decision. If this was a five round fight, if this was the main event, I would go with Volkov. Dude. But being that it's only a three round fight, that he really real, only real, means, real quick, I, just to. I know it was all the way back in 2015, but Czech Congo took down Volkov in all three rounds in their fight. And you know what? Czech Congo is an underrated wrestler. He is an underrated so, wrestler. We, we've talked about this in the past. He's not a striker. He might have a good kick background. He is a wrestler. He He's the, you know what Czech Congo is? He's the poor man's Alistair Overeem, where we talk about Alistair Overeem as his kickboxing. It's like, no, no, no. He's really a wrestler at, at that point of his career. And Czech Congo is the same exact way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He presents as this hot shit striker, but at the top level, yeah. But but again, I I'm I am still worried about the gas tank and everything, and I and I could totally see Volkov just throwing like a front kick and just knocking out, or or just picking apart from range. Again, I'd feel much better if it was fifth five round fight for Volkov, being that it's only three round. I think Romanov might be able to uh, get a takedown. He really only needs two takedowns and win a decision. So give me Romanov by decision. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 221, a bantamweight matchup between Pyotr Jan and Marab Dvalishvili. Jan, the 30-year-old from Siberia, is 16-4 overall. He is 8-3 since joining uh, the UFC as a former absolute championship Bear Coots, uh, bantamweight champ and bantamweight Grand Prix champ. 
Of course, his UFC run has seen him become the UFC Bantamweight champ as well as interim Bantamweight champ. He is currently without any sort of belt and on a two-fight losing streak, those being split decisions against Aljamain Sterling in their title rematch last April, and then a somewhat controversial split decision loss to surging superstar Sean O'Malley at UFC 280 in October. So he's going to look to snap the first losing streak of his career against Dvalishvili. The 32-year-old Georgian by way of Long Island is 15-4 and overall. He's 8-2 and since joining the UFC as a former ring of combat uh, Bantamweight champ. He lost his first two fights in the UFC, both of them under conditions of varying controversy. He, he should be undefeated. I, you know I want to say that every time. He, he should be 10-0. He should be 10-0 in the UFC. Uh, he dropped a contentious split decision to Frankie Science in his UFC debut uh, six years ago, or no, sorry, five years ago, uh, December 2017, then took on Ricky Simone in April of 2018, was well on his way to winning that fight when uh, referee Liam Kerrigan called a technical submission as time expired, uh, thinking he had gone out to a guillotine choke. Uh, he was, in fact, quite okay. Simone gets the win. Marab gets the loss. He has gone on from there to win eight straight. Most recently, he's kind of leveled up from fighting regular roster guys to the elite. Over uh, the last three fights, he's taken on Cody Stamen, Marlon Marais, and Jose Aldo. Won all three of those fights. The most recent of those, the Aldo fight, was a pretty one-sided unanimous decision at UFC 278 in August. Odds here favor the former champ. Jan, minus 240. Dvalishvili, plus 180 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, I'm definitely going to give this uh, fight to you for your breakdown first, but I've got a couple observations, and I, I'd love to yeah. hear your agree or disagree on one of them and then your answer on the other. My first one, Piotr Jan might be a top 15 pound-for-pound pound fighter in terms of skills, yet he's lost three of four fights. I don't know, understand how those things can both be true at the same time, but I yeah, feel as well. though they are. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want you to comment on that one, and the other is... Is Marab Dvalishvili or is Benil Dariush uh, the person with the best case in the UFC that he's overdue for a title shot? They're both on eight fight winning streaks in two of the best divisions in the sport. Uh, who has a better case? Wow. Okay. So, yeah, Perion Talawise is definitely a top 15 guy. I mean, if you, he lost two split decisions. I, I always believe this. If it's a split decision, that means one person's opinion changed. I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying I believe that. Every, everyone knows that. But yeah. if if you say one guy's opinion is a win or loss, well, then he easily could have won those fights. Should you replace that one judge with a different guy? Maybe they see it for him. So it's, you give him two wins in his last, you know, we're probably talking about top five pound for pound guy, especially yeah. considering the first loss to Aljamain Sterling was extremely controversial in a fight that yeah. he was winning. Yeah. Um, that said, and and. I scored the last fight for – I don't remember who I scored the fight for in the uh, the second. I, I really don't remember who I scored. For. Actually, no, I didn't score. I was in, I was watching it at, at a bar when I was uh, on vacation, so I wasn't scoring. But uh, the Sean O'Malley, I scored it for Jan. It was not a bad decision. It was a close fight. They could have went either way. And yeah. anyways, um, yeah, he, he's, 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 he's tremendous, but he's just – his style of fights can keep fights close. 
Um, the second one was who deserves a title shot more? Marab Benil or Benil Darius? Or if there's someone else I'm not thinking of. Three. Give me the last three um, last three opponents. Okay. Uh, Marab's last three opponents are Cody Stamen, Marlon Marais, Jose Aldo. Uh, and Benil Darius is the answer. <laughs> and Benil Darius, his last three are... Diego Ferguson. Fajeda, Tony Ferguson, Mateusz Gamrot. Damn. When when you actually answer the three guys, like some of the losses, I mean, some of the wins hasn't aged well. Like Tony Ferguson win isn't that good of a win anymore. Um, Jose Aldo isn't that good of a win anymore. Uh, Diego Fajera. Diego Fajera is not a good win anymore. Uh, Marlon Marais isn't a good win anymore. So, uh, Leon Edwards. <laughs> and and Leon Edwards, like he was, and he turned out to you know kind of vindicate that when he actually won the title when he finally got it. I mean, you're talking about probably the two best weight classes in MMA too. So the, I mean, this is what happens. Yeah. Uh, is John, John Fitch had a run where he he deserved a title shot for a long time and didn't and get it, it. It was eight straight for him. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm sure there's one or two other guys we're not thinking of the same same thing. Um. Yeah. Anyway, uh, just threw those out as food for thought. Uh, tell me how you see this fight uh, playing out, man. What are your thoughts on the line? Should be closer. Or should be further away. I, I mean, I, I, I well, I don't. Regardless of whether I think it's a good value or not, because again, we are not betting talent. I'm not surprised. I, I expected Jan to come in uh, around two to one, maybe a little, a little more. I, I, I'm surprised it's this big, though. I, I would have okay. guessed like negative 180, something okay. like that. Um, being that Marab, you know, this is a you know main event, and this and that, like he doesn't have the experience in the main event that Pressure Jan has. Uh, okay, I get it. I think I, I we talked off the air before we started taping and we would talk about the betting odds without me knowing. And I said, well, Jan's going to be the favorite. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't expect to be this big. Jan, he's like, again, he's on a two fight losing streak, but he's an amazing fighter. And I, I mean, but the dude can't win a close fight. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I, I going back to even his, uh, AKA days, like when he was fighting like Mega Man, Mega Madoff, and he lost one of the fights, Mega Man, Mega Man. I thought he won that fight. So, uh, you know, he, you could argue that he could be undefeated. Like, he lost to Mega Man, Mega Man off a DQ loss to Aljamain Sterling. He was winning. Yep. And then two extremely close fights. I mean, his, his, his Mega Man off loss isn't a robbery. It was just, it was very similar, very close fights. But he, he lost three close fights in a DQ. <laughs> Like, and he and he avenged the Magomedov loss, and it, and it wasn't controversial the the second time. Like, well, it was another know. close fight, though. It was it close. Was, it, it was no. close, but yeah, yeah, no, it was. Um, on the feet, I mean, he is he's so good. He's he's very poised. He could fight out of both stances. And one of these guys, there's a lot of guys who switch stances, and they're good in both. But they there's one that they're better at. But it's still like it's still an advantage by switching by changing up. He's one of these guys. that's like. Someone's like Israel Asanya, and I say, like, what sense is he better at? 
Like he's he's good at both stances. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about him, which I don't like, and you've heard me say this about him many times, is he can be low output. He is this guy who's willing to give away rounds because he's studying, he's picking up tells. It's a very boxing mentality where a lot of boxers would do that, where they take rounds off in boxing to conserve energy, to learn things, to whatever. That's just a you have twelve rounds. There's a reason why you can give one or two away. Uh, Anson Silva was. Very similar in MMA that way, where he's studying. He's he'd be a little bit of a slow starter. Oh. And until last Saturday, John Jones almost always gave the first round away. John Jones, uh, he'd win the round, but he was wouldn't step he, on the gas. He wouldn't step on the gas. Yeah, and, and then he, yeah, he's studying. Uh, Israel yeah. Asani is a slow starter. Uh, I go all the way back to the Jimmy Rivera fight because that was a fight he was way better than when he let his hands go, but due to his lack of output. He needed big punches to drop Rivera and win him rounds. He was losing the rounds until he landed a big shot and dropped him and, and kind of stole. I think it was maybe two out of three rounds he did that. Uh, I go back to fights like Jose Aldo and Corey Sanhagen. He gave away rounds in those fights. Um, now, the good thing is he has really fast hands. He marches down his foe. He is a builder. He, he definitely gets stronger as the fight goes on because his traps and the things he's studying and the little th- the traps he's setting, they're starting to fall into. So um, John Jones has that mentality where he doesn't think about it round by round. He thinks about it as a 25-minute fight about the end, you know, just the end result. Uh, Jan has a very similar mentality, but it's danger. You, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing. Uh, one thing I love about his striking is he throws the spots. Uh, I've seen it. I think it was. I think it was Dan Hardy. I was watching a breakdown, and, and who's say what you want about Dan Hardy? His, oh. his his technical breakdowns are fantastic. Yeah, which is really funny because he was never this really technical guy. <laughs> um, but uh, he was showing uh, little traps that Jan was setting, and it was it was really fascinating. Um, Fast. I, I feel like I, I have a strong knowledge in, in striking. It's it's but not to that level. Like it was really good watching someone who's who's way more knowledgeable than I am and uh, explaining some of the things John does. He he really is a master at that. He he does what elite strikers do. Uh he's he's besides being like smart, he's 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 got those like the raw talent. Like he's quick twitched. Uh, nice pop on his shots. Uh, I'd say plus power. He's he's not a huge like. He, he's a guy. He's accurate. Like he's he's he drops guys because of how accurate. It's not because he's just, uh, you know, if 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 he throws a deflecting shot, he's not knocking guys out. But he's so accurate uh, that he can drop guys. I love his straight left uh, for the southpaw stance. Uh, I love his slip uppercut, which you know I'm not a big fan of, but the way he does it is really good. Uh, good. Good uh, head movement. I like when he's slipping shots better than when he turtles. He does a lot of turtling up, which is a boxing thing, which leaves him open to leg kicks, which opens the body shots, which is open to getting shot on, which is something that Aljamain Sterling was doing to him. Um, he he has been hurt. I mean, say what you want about that fight against Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley hurt him. Mm-hmm. Like, this sort of, listen, I, I, I got to rant because people still bring it up. Say what you want about Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley showed in that fight that he's an elite fighter in the division. Oh yeah, I, you know I know the Marlon Vera fight was where he doesn't give him credit, and, and, this, and he Sean O'Malley gives you plenty of reasons to hate him, <laughs> right? But even if you thought he lost to Peter Young, like I did, like his stock went up 
Yeah. He showed wow, he when like he struck with Precheon and had moments and dropped him better than anybody else ever has. Now, Jan can wrestle and I wish he would wrestle more. Because I actually think it would open up his hands and I think it would open up opportunities for him. Uh, he's a guy he like he'll catch a kick and just sweep the leg, but even though he'll sweep the leg, he won't he like he, he reminds me of a little kid wrestler who's just learning wrestling for the first time. When you teach you teach wrestling and then you like you teach show him a single and they pick a leg up and they kick the leg out or something like that. And you have to like yell him like, No, cover him. <laughs> did you don't get any points? Like that's what he does. He'll like, just kick the leg out. I'm like, why'd you do that? Like you did all that just for nothing. Like get the get the takedown and stop working. Uh <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, if he closes distance, he, you know he'll look for body lock takedowns. He can shoot; like he's got the skills, uh, and he's great at winning scrambles. Um, but in his losses, he's been taken down because I think when you're just abandoning the wrestling, it leaves you open to get taken down. And when you have that mindset to, I need to win wrestling exchanges too, and I need to get go some offensive takedowns. Uh, he wouldn't be getting taken down by Megamed Megamedov. He wouldn't be getting taken down by Aljamain Sterling. Now, Aljamain Sterling, he's such a different grappler than most people, but yeah. you, you get what I'm saying. Now, moving more up. Uh, it, dude, this guy has the ultimate balls to the wall style. Like, constantly attacking. He throws. He's not scared of anybody. Like, even a guy like a legendary guy like Jose Aldo, he's still like going right at him. And, uh, you know, uh, what was another fight uh, I'm trying to think of? Who was this recent guy? It was. Jose Aldo, what was the other fight? From Rob? Yeah. Uh, Marlon Marais, Cody Stamen. Oh, maybe it was, I think it was Stamen, where he was just like, that's another guy who's really good and just like was just throwing haymakers and just spinning attacks and just no fear of getting hit. Mm-mm. He kind of he throws punches just to force his opponent's back to bring up their hands, and then he's going to shoot through your hips and with insane pace. Great entries, chain wrestles together. Some of the best cardio, like we talk about best cardio in MMA, and I don't know if he has the best. You know, you have, he's he's in the team photo. Yeah, that's right. He's in the club. Yeah, uh, so impressive concerning that he has this pace, but he fights like a guy who should gas out twenty seconds into a fight. <laughs> you know, or th- three minutes into a fight because all he does is throw haymakers, spinning attacks, and wrestle. Yep. Um, and then his style of wrestling. He's not a take you down, hold you down, and that's the end of it. He he actually needs to improve his top control, um, and a, a lot of times that happens. And I'm thinking this is just just me pure guessing, being from Georgia. They they don't do folk style wrestling; they do freestyle wrestling, and freestyle wrestling has very few um, moments on the ground. If you that's why I think folk style wrestling is the best wrestling. But so top control isn't as stressed as in just blasting through hips or throws and stuff like that is. So um, I this is I, I said the betting lines should be closer, and this is a tough one because Marab has such a unique style. Like it, you can train with anybody you want. Like nobody can mimic his style to, to that level. Plus we've seen Jan get out-wrestled in the past, and we've seen Ron feel to let his hands go like, Marab's going to out-volume him. That's, there's no doubt about that. But Jan is a sniper. And with all these big shots that Marab does, he leaves himself open to be countered. And I think Jan lands clean shots, especially as the fight goes on, third round, fourth round, fifth round. 
Uh, if it was a three round fight, I'd feel much better about Morab's chances based on you know his crazy style and and Jan giving away rounds and. But I think he hurts Morab. I think he finds, you know, um, when Rob does some crazy spinning attack and he's not, you know, and Jan sidestepping it, then blasting a hook. I, I think he might even drop him, might even hurt him, might even stop him. Uh, I want to say he actually gets a late finish. So, um, no, no, yeah, you know, I'm going to say he gets a late finish. Give me, give me Jan by fourth round TKO. Yeah, I mean, you, you brought up all the, the points that, kind of occurred to me as I thought about this fight and several that, you know, probably didn't occur to me. But one thing that definitely definitely stands out to me is that you mentioned Marab's weaponized pace where it's not just that he never gets tired. It's that he never gets tired, even though he's doing things that normally are cardio killers and his opponent does get tired. You know, he's not one of those wrestlers that, yeah, he gets the takedowns, but he's actually getting more tired than the person he's wrestling. Uh, he's not one of those guys and but he is going into his first five round fight and Jan is going into his fifth five round fight in the UFC seventh overall like is it like is it is fifth in a row too isn't it well no because last time against O'Malley was just a three round oh O'Malley was three yeah sorry but yeah so it's his, his fifth in his last six fights uh you know and they've gone into the championship rounds uh, every time. So as incredible as Wallace Willie's cardio is, it's still something of an open question, whether he can do that for five rounds. Yeah. Because <clears throat> if he can, the biggest threat he poses to Jan is if Jan doesn't visibly hurt him with punches, judges are just going to see Wallace Willie like outlanding him two to one oh, and yeah. maybe getting a takedown. And even if the takedown doesn't like lead to much, they just see, Marab like like swarming all over Jan like a like a little wolverine. Yeah. yeah. By the op by the optics. <laughs> good way to describe it. Yeah. Jan could find himself like down rounds in the early going, but even there, again, because it's a five round fight, because Jan not because of cardio, but just because of his his like his vision gets sharper and becomes more and more of a sniper as the fight goes along. Even if if Marab like does his whirling dervish thing and say he wins the first two rounds. I'm still not too, too worried about Jan because I think he will start to hurt Marab as they go along. And it's an open question whether Marab will be able to get the takedowns. Only, you know, kind of pretty damn elite wrestlers have, have been able to do it on any sort of consistent basis. Uh, I love Marab's game. Like, he's he's a blast to watch. I'm not sure oh, why the so UFC fun. is... I don't know why the UFC has slow rolled him so hard because for a fighter that goes to as many decisions as Marab does, he is a lot of fun to watch. I, I, I think some of it has to do with, you know, I mean, he's main training partner, best friend of Aljamain Sterling. Yeah. Who's and, in the champion division. And we didn't mention like about stylistically how he matches against Perjian. He's got Aljamain Sterling who's fought him for, you know, what, 10 rounds or whatever. whatever yeah. Like nine, like, like nine, nine rounds and change. Nine and change. Uh, yeah. Marab has been there when they brought in when they brought in like the Adrian Yanezes of the world to simulate Jan for uh, Sterling's camps. Like Marab yeah. is right there in the rotation. Uh, he's going to be about as well prepared as you can be to fight Piotr Jan without having done so. But I, I do think this is going to be a little too much of an ask, and it's going to be a damn shame if this is as close as Marab got to a title shot after everything he's done in the UFC. Like he, we need to work him into the conversation 
of most accomplished fighters in UFC history that never won a title or at least they never made it to a, a title fight. Like stick him in there in like the Jacare conversation, if, if, you know? If he wins, I mean, is he the number one contender? If he wins, I think he's the number one contender. And I think we're looking at after the Cejudo and Sterling fight, assuming that happens, Sterling maybe moves up, win or lose. What if Cejudo wins? There's your little storyline coming back in, avenging his teammates' loss. And and what an insane fight that would be. But don't forget, you have Sean O'Malley. Say what you want. Dana White said the winner gets a title shot, and he did win. Yep. And he's obviously the most marketable of all those people. Of, of course. Yeah, he's one of the most marketable people. He's the most marketable non-champ in the UFC. Besides Connor. Like, by non-champ, I mean, like, someone who's never been a champ. Sorry. Okay. I, yeah. 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 Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, 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 obviously you're counting Bo Nichols World Championship, U23 World okay. Championship. Yes, of course. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I have Jan by decision here. Uh, if he gets a, a late KO, that will look incredible. I mean, to be, you know, the first person to legitimately beat Marab in the UFC will actually be a big uh, feather in Jan's cap. Like this, it's oh, not absolutely. like this is a lose lose situation for him. No. That kind of cements him as, hey, I'm still here, and yeah. I'm gonna keep knocking off your top contenders if you don't, you know, let me back into the title picture. And if Marab beats Jan, if he beats him convincingly, I mean, yeah, he's gonna be stuck in line probably behind uh, behind O'Malley, but he's right there, and again, just probably more deserving in absolute terms, but. The, the marketing thing is going to have him on the outside looking in. Um, yeah. One thing you said, you asked, um, you know, is Jan a top 15 fighter and all his talent? He's got all the talent in the world. There's a lot of pressure on him coming in this fight because if he loses this fight, I mean, he is. I mean, that is already the deepest division, in my opinion. He's already got a long way back being that you've lost twice to the champion. Again, one of them controversial but, and the other one but you had your second chance and you lost and again it yeah. was a very close fight you could have won but still there's so many guys in that division you can't have that now gone if if, if Henry Cejudo wins the title that changes a what a what a stylistic matchup between Jan yeah. and, and 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 Cejudo and but even, but even, or even if uh Sterling wins and moves up like that still leaves Jan a really happy guy yeah but if Sterling wins and decides not to move up or he moves up, he moves up for one fight with Volkanovski or something like that, and he loses, goes right back down, he goes back to defending his title. Uh, he, he's not going to fight. And Jan is not a guy that can move. He's he's not a big Bantamweight. No, he's not. He, he couldn't make flyweight, but he's not a big Bantamweight where he can go up to featherweight. Yep. And I mean, imagine Jan versus Max Holloway, the size difference. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. I mean, I guess it's the same as Volkanovski, but, but, but I mean, Volkanovski's, yeah. Volkanovski's thick. And Jan's, Jan's not. not like like even even Sterling like Sterling is probably less than an inch taller than Jan, but he's got like huge shoulders and this V taper and well, big uh, like he looks yeah. like a little mini Phil Davis. Yeah, or John Jones. Just, yeah, yeah or John, well, I think he's thicker than Jones. Like Davis has got like these wide shoulders, V taper, oh, yeah, yeah, like Davis. big legs. Yeah, like Sterling's you know, got that thing, physique. And I think I don't know we've, we're kind of going off how we normally do the show, but um, you mentioned about the like what a judges look for and how like all this craziness from Rob looks bad. I also think like the stand-up, the way that Jan turtles and he hides, even if he's blocking these big haymakers, it just you you've seen it a million times. When a guy throws a big shot and gets blocked, it just looks good. 
Mm-hmm. Even though, even though I've walked everything, just like any head kick scores points, every, even if it's completely head, blocked and it's right. at like twenty five percent speed, you might as well throw it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I've I've got Jan by decision in this one. I think you know he'll kind of fight through the the smoke and madness of a uh, Marab fight and be sniping on him by by the late rounds. I wouldn't be surprised if you're right and there's a, a late stoppage, but. I mean, not many people have really hurt Marab at all at this point. Uh, like he's got a real solid chin on top of everything. So I'm going to pick it to go to decision. But that is it. That's the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 221, Jan versus Dwalishvili. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening to one of our previews, First of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We uh, do our best to bring you the best combination of in-depth analysis and occasional wandering asides and story time, as you'll find anywhere in the industry. Please do like, subscribe, leave us a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, Keith and I both man the comment section, and we'd love to go back and forth with you. If you think we're crazy about any of these picks, you might be right uh, to quote, Billy Joel, I guess. Anyway, uh, you know, let us know if you've got any big upset picks, make your voice heard. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We are live on the Sherdog YouTube page about 10 or 15 minutes after the main event where Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll break down all 14 of these fights in reverse order, starting with uh, that fantastic main event, going all the way down to the surprisingly interesting first couple of fights on the card. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. We will talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. But most importantly, we will, uh, most importantly, the live chat is open that entire time. So we are taking your questions and your comments, your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to join them. Between now and then, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you once again for listening and by all means, enjoy the fights. 